Let's get together, talk about the movies that we saw this week. We'll have discussions, talk film news, we'll laugh a lot and act like geeks. Sometimes we'll have a guest or two, sometimes it's just the two of us. Let's crack some jokes and tell some folks to come along and hang with us. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Yeah! You have chosen wise. With great podcasts comes great responsibility, so luckily we uh, have nothing to worry about. It's Mike, Mike, go to the movies. <laughs> uh, I'm Mike Smith. Joining me, as always, is a man whose Swedish cult has a meeting right after this, so we'll try to be respectful of his time. Mike DeCrescio. How you doing today, Mike? I'm doing just great. I'm glad that you're going to respect my time like that. I have some... Some ritual stuff to get my hands into, so right. The to wrap this up quick. The Maypole dance isn't going to dance itself, you know. You exactly. Get over there. <laughs> uh, joining us for this episode is an old friend who used to pop up on our previous podcast all the time, making his debut on Mike and Mike Go to the Movies after his uh, whirlwind theatrical experience in L.A. Uh, Vin Craig, <laughs> welcome back to uh, Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. I have a mustache now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's weird. I needed to open with that because they cannot see it. <laughs> yeah. with, a, with a facial hair change, second episode yeah. in a row. Yeah, or on the last episode of Complete Works, uh, Mike revealed that he uh, shaved his beard, uh, his beard of like 10 years, and now Vin comes yeah. in hot with uh, his new mustache. It's like the hair is transferred from one face onto another. Wow. Uh, it's pretty wild. Mike, I thought you said you weren't going to tell him about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, as the resident cult We member, made a I'm blood aware. Swedish oath. <laughs> Involving spiders. Yes. <laughs> That's tying tie in uh, both of the movies together. I like that. Uh, so, Vin, I mean, you were just in L.A. At, when we last talked to you, it was for the final episode of Film Bookcast. Uh, and that was yeah. for our Avengers Endgame review. And literally, like, the day after you recorded that episode, you flew out to L.A., you had an audition, and you got cast in a play, which uh, just uh, happened a couple weeks ago, right? You were in L.A. for the last, like, two months. I have, yeah. I spent uh, the past two months in L.A. I flew out April 30th, had my audition May 1st. Got cast May 1st, which was crazy because, like, it was such a Hail Mary to go out there. I was the only person to fly out, I found out. Oh, really? <laughs> Everybody else, they sourced from L.A. Wow. And also, right before my audition, I found out that everybody I was going up against, it was one guy. It was one guy I was going up against. Uh, but he was the casting director's guy. Oh, really? Oof. My buddy Andy produced the show, and that's why I got, like, in the room. Uh, and it worked, you know? It worked out. And it was, it was honestly one of the best experiences of my life. I met so many incredible people. Uh, a buddy of mine, I, I was so shocked that I grew the mustache on the spot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, it was white. I had to dye. It was a shocked white mustache. Like Ray Wise and, and dyed Twin it back to my natural red hair color. <laughs> nice. Deep no, cut. Um, but what, also what happened was really cool is my buddy Jacob from New Paltz was out in L.A. for uh, a bat mitzvah, a family like uh, bat mitzvah. And somebody dropped out of the show, like, the second day I was there. Oh, wow. So I said, hey, I got this guy. He's my buddy. He's super talented. He's out here. You should see him for the part. And I showed uh, everybody his photo, and they were like, no, he doesn't look right. This, that, and the other thing. Can't use him. Like, two weeks go by, and they're still looking for somebody. And without even <laughs> acknowledging that I've done it before, I pull out my phone, and I go, hey, what about this guy? <laughs> and... My buddy said, uh, my buddy Andy goes, why haven't you showed me this photo yet? And I, I, took, a, I took a gentleman's pause. And I said, dude, take a step back because I'm about to swing at you. And I want to give you fair warning. Uh, but he ended up going in and he, like, crushed it. So I had a buddy out there from, like, home, which was so incredible. And then I just made so many amazing friends. I mentioned before uh, my friend Gatlin 
and her husband Austin, amazing film people that I got to work on the show with. Uh, Marcus, who wrote and directed the show, is incredible. Uh, Mike O'Connor, who literally was played the role of my older brother out in Los Angeles, not in the show, just in life. Right. <laughs> he uh, he took care of me while I was out there, and I really appreciated that. Nice. Very cool. Um, Sounds like you had a party. I had a lot of fun. And Andy, of course, for everything. If, if by chance he hears this, i gr- incredibly grateful as always. Very cool. And I intentionally make that man – or I unintentionally make that man's life harder <laughs> almost every – like even if I had the best intentions, I will somehow make a situation more difficult for him. <laughs> I mean, that sounds about right. Uh, now, the, the, the name of the show is uh, Viral the Musical, by the way. Uh, yes, Viral the Musical, uh, written that. directed, starring Marcus Johns. Uh, and um, you're in the process of trying to uh, make it go on tour, right? Trying to bring us to New York, something like that, right? We had a, uh, a We Demand page that got made, which I didn't know about until I got an email being like, hey, check this out. And apparently they want the show to tour and, like, a couple of thousand people went on and demanded it for their city. And like, we were trending above, uh, Billie Eilish, which is crazy. Cause I listened to her album, what? like <laughs> maybe 20 times when I was out there, like every night when I was feeling sad the first two weeks, <laughs> cause it was the biggest bummer. The only bummer was that they didn't, they were like, we are probably going to need you to shoot promo stuff while you're out here. Yeah. So like, don't make any plans the first couple of weeks before the show starts rehearsing. So I didn't, and they didn't use me, and I, like, missed out on so much potential acting. Like, I couldn't even apply for acting things. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that was the only thing that was, like, a major bummer. I don't blame them. They just didn't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, I feel that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we're hopeful to see that uh, come to New York soon, and hope, hopefully whatever happens, happens. Uh, and also, you know, if you can't see Vin on the theatrical stage, he pops up in uh, the new movie The Dead Don't Die, the Jim Jarmusch film, which uh, me and Mike talked about in the last episode, too. Scarfing yeah. down some chicken. Yes. <laughs> Wait, I, oh, is this not – are you guys not interviewing me about that? <laughs> I thought – that's not what's happening on this gonna, episode? Especially, I, I think it's a point of interest. People would like to know where they can see you, uh, where, can, where they can see your work and stuff like that. Of course, you can throw all this into the plugs at the end of the episode too. But, uh, yeah, The Dead Don't Die. Yeah. I, I was watching this in the theater about a month ago, and uh, I knew you were in the movie ahead of time. Uh, so I, I was, like, kind of looking for you. Um, but I assumed you would be like in a big like crowd with like as an extra kind of in the background or whatever. No, you're like right nope. behind Danny Glover, just scarfing down some food uh, in the diner. <laughs> I'm sure like I told the story minutes. on here, but he like came over and shook my hand. Really? And he was like in his gravelly like gravelly old man voice. He was like, "Thank you for working on the movie." <laughs> and then I realized it was just because the bathroom was behind me and he was walking towards it, <laughs> and he's just incredibly polite. <laughs> I imagine you had like a, a mouthful of food. No, good, no problem. <laughs> I did, but unrelated to filming. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy the bathroom, Betty Glover. Uh, but, yeah. You need help shaking it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Vin, it's good to have you back on the podcast. Now, uh, all of the theme songs you're going to hear this episode were created by Kyle Cullen, and our logo is designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. Uh, if you ever want to contact us and respond to something we did on the show, uh, you can email us over at movies at gmail.com. So today, we're going to start with some discussions where we each discuss uh, whatever piece of media we've been consuming lately, and then we're going to launch into a double review we're going to start with spider-man far from home before moving on into ari aster's new film midsummer now one of these movies is about a group of american students who after one of them suffers the traumatic loss of a loved one go on a trip to europe where they experience horrifying visions that distort the perception of reality (laughs) and the other one's midsummer Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
Wow. Boom. Yeah. Uh, that was good. That was real good. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, there was a lot of workshopping of that joke before uh, before the episode started. But uh, yeah, yeah. These movies don't need to know. Yeah, these, these movies are remarkably similar, uh, which uh, is one of those things that you don't think about when you're watching Spider-Man. You don't think about when you're watching Midsummer until you start writing about both of them uh, for a podcast. And you're like, wow, there's a lot of the same, a lot of the same things happening in these movies, which is weird. <laughs> I found myself supplementing scenes from one into my memory of the other, <laughs> which was a lot. <laughs> right. So, so if we're reviewing Midsummer, and Vin's like, yeah, so when Spider-Man swung by, <laughs> you know, just know that he's, he's mistaken. That's not actually a thing that happens in Midsummer. <laughs> Well, I mean, we don't like we don't know. You know, <laughs> there's no way to prove. You know, I didn't that st- that didn't happen. I didn't stick around for the post credits of Midsummer, so you might be right on that. <laughs> oh, you should have, dude. Uh, they launch in the uh, the uh, the AAECU, <laughs> the Ari Aster Extended Cinematic Universe. I like it. Hell yeah! <laughs> uh, it's all the, it's the cult from Midsummer going to worship the demon Paimon. <laughs> Well, uh, and then whatever happens, happens. Uh, but anyway, so we're going to get into all that stuff with Spider-Man Midsummer later on in the episode. Right now, let's get into some discussions. These are my discussions. Just when I thought I said all I could say, my buddy and I talk about movies and see. These are my discussions. There is so much to see, you and me. So we're going to talk about movies for our discussions. All right, it's time for some uh, discussions here on Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. Uh, Vin, you are the guest, so we'll start with you. What do you have to discuss with us today? Do you guys get a new bumper? Uh, no, same <laughs> bumper. Same bumper. Oh, it's just, it's been so long. <laughs> I you know. know. It's, it's good. It's, it's nice to hear it again. Yeah. I have been obsessed with the new sketch comedy show, I Think You Should Leave, <laughs> created by Tim Robinson, produced by Andy Samberg. There, I'm sure I'm for, like, it, there are people I don't know involved in it. It is such an incredible sketch comedy experience that is like the antithesis of SNL because none of the sketches they do are safe (laughs) and somehow like most of them are home runs. Yeah, well, we we talked about the show a little bit uh, before because I mentioned it like two episodes ago. I would say as the antithesis of SNL, I think it's weird to call it that because everybody involved was on SNL at some some (laughs) point. Yeah, it just goes to show that SNL doesn't always know what they have when they have it. It's true. Yeah, Tim Robinson was a writer. What, Tim the, Robinson got fired, like, what, two seasons in? Yeah, he was in, on for two seasons, never really popped on the show. Uh, you know, he popped. Like, he was in a couple of sketches, and, but he's never really, like, I remember watching them and being like, yeah, he's a guy who's around, but, like, <laughs> he's not somebody that I was that uh, invested in. And then, like, you know, after the show ended, I remember there was, a, there was a Netflix show called The Characters. I don't know if you ever saw that show, but that was, like, a sketch comedy. I com- heard of it. I never watched it. But that was a sketch comedy show where they would have um, a different comedian do a different episode of the show each time and basically just give them a blank check to do whatever sketches they wanted. One of them was Tim Robinson, and it was amazing. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I might have to go check that out. It's, it's definitely worth it. But, uh, yeah, I just, like, I said it to you guys, I think, before we started. I might have over-exaggerated. I think I said I watched it 15 times. <laughs> That's probably not true. I've definitely seen it, like, 10 full times through, though. Okay. Because... Of just showing other people, because I'm it, I laugh every time the sketch where it's like the scene from um, Walk the Line, okay, and it's it's yes, the music yeah. sketch and he's singing about like church stuff and they're like we want new music <laughs> and the bones are and their money and that kind of stuff right and he yeah. starts singing about skeletons and it's <laughs> I look at I quote to my buddies who've seen it all the time I go he said he wanted something spooky. <laughs> And then uh, I just started watching Stranger Things 3, or as I feel like they should have called it, uh, they should have called season one Strange Things. Okay, follow me on this. All right. Season two should have been Stranger Things. 
<laughs> season three, strangier things. Oh, oh man. Season That's four, strangest things. All right. Because season four, we know, is going to be the last one. Do we know that? Is that confirmed? Yeah. They uh, When season one came out, they were like, this is a four-season thing, and then we're donezo. Okay. But Stranger Things is also, like, way more successful than uh, most Netflix shows. They might try to stretch it out. Like, that was back in season one they said that? Mm, actually, this might have been after two. Because they were doing that, uh, it was when they were doing, like, that Talking Dead thing. Oh, but for Stranger the, Things? On Netflix. Yes, I, yeah. I, yeah, I do uh, remember that. They were like, we have a four-season arc planned out. Talking Strange. So maybe that doesn't mean the show will end after four seasons, but that's what I took it as. Yeah, makes sense. And then they talked about how they made those two little kids kiss on set, and it was, it got weird. <laughs> Okay. No, no thanks. Yeah, but uh, but Stranger Things season three, you're what five episodes in? Yeah, I'm five episodes in. Uh, so tread lightly, whoever, whichever one of the mics wants to jump in on this. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I watched. Uh, I finished the season, season three, and I really liked it. By the end, the first couple episodes, I was like, oh man, I might just be like nostalgia's out. You know, like this. Yeah, it, it's lost the. It's you. You've done it three seasons, like. You it's know. very 80s. Yeah. And uh, I was kind of like, I don't know. And then I think around episode three, like, the main story plot kind of kicks in. And I was like, okay. oh, wait. This is why I like this show. Because it has that, like, Amblin-style, you know, 80s. Uh, sure. <laughs> like, you know, teen movie mystery, big government conspiracy stuff going on. And they do it really well, I think. Uh, Pretty scary, too. Yeah. Honestly. And, like, it got some spooks. There's some spooks going on. Right. Um and it's fun. I liked it. I, it ended up being a lot funnier than I remember the other seasons being. There's like a lot they more. They swear yes. a lot more. They do <laughs> swear a lot. The kids are getting older, so they swear a lot more. That's good. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and, and they a lot expand. Of swearing and a lot of like soft making out. Yeah, like awkward making out, which is weird. Okay. Uh, like, <laughs> which makes sense. Which is know. better. I'd prefer to watch them awkward make out than like full. Hot never mind. Make out. <laughs> hey, <laughs> nope. Uh, Can't walk this one back. Going on this train of thought. <laughs> hey, uh, Mike, what else about Stranger Things did you like? Um, I honestly, I was really uh, satisfied and happy with the expanded cast. Like, there's some characters uh, that get a lot more screen time that were kind of like one one scene characters from the previous seasons. Okay. Uh, in particular, uh, Erica, Lucas's younger sister. Oh, she's amazing. Is incredible in this season. The new characters, uh, especially Robin. Steve's like you know who that is? I found that's out a, who it is. Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke's daughter, right? Maya Hawke, right? Yeah, yeah. Maya Hawke, yeah. Uh, I have not watched she's any amazing. of the season, by the way. Uh, I've heard she's great. Uh, yeah, I've watched zero episodes of season three of Stranger Things, and I feel completely left out of the conversation um, surrounding <laughs> it. Uh, it's one of those things, like, I, it was like two days later, and a friend of mine from home gave me a call, and like we were catching up and stuff, and she was like, oh, hey, did you watch the new season of Stranger Things? Uh, and I was like, oh, no, I haven't gotten around to it. How far are you into it? And it's like, I've watched it. And I was like, what? Yep. Like, you <laughs> you finished it? <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, dude, I'm behind being five episodes in. Right. It's it's just it's weird that people like you know Netflix always like Netflix said something like 40 million people watched Stranger Things already, and it's like uh, I part of me doesn't want to believe that number, but also based on like anecdotal evidence, like everybody that I know who watches it has basically finished it. Uh, I mean, it's, it's only eight I mean, episodes. I don't think they're they're not the WWE. They're not going to buff their numbers. <laughs> Well, they for sure can because they, they definitely do. They, they don't give any proof. Their <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know, it's eight episodes. They're fifty-two minutes. Like they're not. They're not like HBO episodes where they're right know, sixty or seventy minutes or any of that stuff. Sure, yeah. Uh, so you know, you watch two or three episodes over a weekend a day, like you know, and you finish it. You're done. Okay. That's just what I did. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I liked it. I, I ended up coming. Ended up liking it a lot more than I did at the beginning of the season, which is pretty nice. Okay. How did you feel about season two of Stranger Things? I remember. I feel like that was one. 
I actually liked that one more than season one, but that that seemed like the opposite of what a lot of people. I did felt too. Like. Did you, Vin? Okay. I like season two. Yeah, me and you are on the same wavelength a lot of the time. Uh, <laughs> I don't really. I I feel like when I think back on it now, I was cold or colder on season two than I was on season one because I had I honestly had that thing because I feel like season one for a little bit was kind of like that thing that Vin was talking about where it was like I had to show people season one. Like you know okay. the first the first maybe the first couple weeks before it like blew up because it was like that weird D and D nerdy thing. Sure, yeah. And I was like when I was getting into that and I was like you guys got to check this out. Uh, <laughs> so like I showed a bunch of people I've seen that season like four or five times all the way through which is I don't normally do that for TV. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so season two I didn't really I mean I liked it it was good it's still more Stranger Things stuff but I when I think back on it now I don't really like it as much as season one uh, but season three I it gets closer to season one for me. Okay, still not as good as season yeah. one, though. Not that, like, perfect little one-season thing. Yeah, I think it was just, like, the, the moment when season one hit for me personally. Okay. Um, elevates it that much, you know? But, yeah, season three nice. is good. Good stuff. Cool. Yeah, that uh, is. I just... Um, so, Mike, have you seen the first two seasons, then? I've seen the first two seasons, yeah. It's one of those things where I'll uh, I'll catch up with it a few weeks down the line. Maybe I'll watch season three soon. I was actually thinking, like, you know, for our next episode of Mike Might Go to the Movies, we were talking about doing The Lion King. Um, but that's a movie that, like... Neither of us really want to see that badly, so I'm like, <laughs> so I'm wondering if we should just do like a full on Stranger Things three review uh, instead. In. But we'll we'll get to that when we get to it, I guess. But uh, I, um, sorry, there was just this moment in the first episode of season three. Do you do you mind if I like reveal? It's not a spoiler at all. It's just a I, moment from the episode. I genuinely do not care um, for myself, just because like I like Stranger Things is a show that I think is pretty good, but not something I'm like crazy about. So yeah, go ahead. So it's it's right away Dustin gets home from camp and he's like, guys, I have this girlfriend. Okay. And he's like, I got to, guys, we got to set this radio and we're going to go talk to her. And they do. And he's talking. He's trying to get her to come across the radio because she's from Utah or whatever. And slowly but surely his friends start trickling out of there until it's just him and Will. And he's like, Will, are you leaving? And I so badly wanted that kid to turn around and be like. Dude, listen, I've had conservatively the worst two years anybody's <laughs> ever had, ever. I really don't need this right now. If only. I I want to film that as a sketch so badly. Just be yeah. like, I was in a wall. I got abducted. I got possessed. My mom had to exercise me. I don't give a shit about your girlfriend, Dustin. <laughs> yeah, just let like let that be how you recap the first two seasons. <laughs> that would have been great, actually. Uh, but yeah, so that is Stranger Things season three. It's out on Netflix right now, and uh, chances are you've already watched the entire thing by the time you listen to this episode. So, uh, Mike, what else do you have uh, to discuss with us today? Well, Vin, do you have anything else to discuss today? <laughs> did I say I did? Because I don't. Oh, okay. I was just checking. <laughs> Sorry. I was transitioning from Vin to Mike, and I guess I, re- I didn't realize that I didn't close out Vin's discussions. <laughs> hey, what happened to the news segment? Are we not doing that anymore? Uh, no, we are not, Vin. Film news is done. It's donezo, buddy. What? <laughs> I'm glad you're a listener, Vin. Thanks for the support. <laughs> what, but, like, why? Wait, were you just not going to tell me? <laughs> I don't. I don't have any film news to take. But were you just not going to tell me? <laughs> no, I don't know. you don't even. It's go uh, sad to see it go, but I understand. Yeah. Okay, Mike. What, what do you got? What do you got to discuss? I got some stuff. So, Stranger Things season three. Oh wait, no. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> please, Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Yes, of course. <laughs> no, I have a few movies. Uh, first off is uh, 1971's Straw Dog. Uh, Straw Dogs, excuse me. Straw Dogs. Uh, oh, so Straw you saw Dog. the sequel. <laughs> yes. saw the, sequ- the, the prequel, actually. <laughs> the one with the dollar sign right, at the right, end. Right, right, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, directed by Sam Peckinpah, uh, starring Dustin Hoffman and Susan George. And uh, I think this is like a classic. I don't really know how you would qual- uh, qualify a strong. Like a cult classic? Cult, cult classic, classic, I would maybe? probably say, yeah, yeah. It's a movie that is definitely known. Yeah, and it's, yeah. A, and it's, a, and it's a Peckinpah movie, so there's definitely like an audience for it, for sure. Yeah. The quick synopsis is uh, Dustin Hoffman and, and uh, Susan George move to the uh, English countryside so he can, you know, Dustin Hoffman can be like a, a nerdy professor guy trying to solve his math equation or whatever in peace. And, and the, the local Englishmen in the country, uh, for some reason, don't like him. I guess because he's like, you know, an, a, a city weak boy kind of thing. It's one of those situations. Uh, and then tensions slowly rise uh, as they come into conflict with him and, and his family and the, the, the other townsfolk. And I don't know how I feel about this movie because it's it's a notorious, I guess, or infamous uh, like rape revenge story kind of thing, right? Um, or there, or at least that's what I thought. Uh, but there and there is definitely like a graphic rape. Uh, you know, that's part of the plot. But my thing that makes me mad about it in some way, I don't know if that that might be too strong, but it, it just kind of happens and doesn't become part of the plot at all like there's you know it, it, it comes oh you mean like a rape scene in most movies yeah but like i the way i was expecting was that like it's a rape revenge story and there's this so, big so it would be about that you're saying yeah yeah so it happens oh did you want them to consider the character <laughs> yeah i guess what did i expect from a peck and Bob film in 1971 but it, it like there is this big you know explosion of, of violence at like, oh, peck and Paw, right uh right <laughs> this big shootout and then everything goes insane and I thought it was, as a result of that, I thought it was, like, Hoffman getting revenge for that. But I think by the end of the movie, I guess this is spoilers, but whatever, it's from 1971. I don't, I don't think he even knows it happened by the end of the movie. Have, have you seen this, Vin, by any chance? Or, or Mike? Have I have not. It? No, I'm reading up on it right now. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's, it just seems like such a weird thing to happen, to, like, put into a film that has this plot, right? That has this be the thing. Like, you know, it's this kind of... Uh, yeah, it turns out the thing he wanted revenge for... Scratched his car. Yeah, like they didn't finish building his garage or whatever. <laughs> like, like it's very weird. It's very yeah. weird. Um, so, and it's like it's over two hours long, I think, or maybe is around two hours, uh, or feels like it at least. So, like, I don't know right. if it's worth all that. Is what I'm saying. Is what I'm getting at for straw dogs. Okay, uh, but maybe that's just like my, you know, modern sensibility stuff getting in the way of this 1971. Oh, my modern sensibilities. Yeah. Um, <laughs> My stars yeah. and goddess. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that, that's a movie that uh, I remember. There was a remake in like 2011, something like that. Yeah, and, uh, you oh, know, James Marsden, right? Right. Yeah, I believe he wasn't that. Yeah, uh, I didn't see the remake. I remember when it came out though, and I, I remember wanting to go back and watching the Peck and Paw movie. Never did. I've seen some Peck and Paw movies here and there. Uh, I will say, as Peck, Peck and Paw's director, I do like the Wild Bunch, but the movies that I've seen of Peck and Paw, I just never they don't grab me as much as like I want them to. It's one of those things, and yeah. maybe I just haven't seen the right ones. Uh, right. But for some reason, like, the Sam Peckham movies just haven't grabbed me the way that, uh, you know, people talk about him as, like, this great uh, violent provocateur or whatever. And, uh, you know, there's definitely elements of that in his movies, but it, it just for some reason has not worked for me personally. But uh, I, I always, like, seek them out. When I, when I do get the chance to watch them, I do watch them and just to check them out. And uh, so far, haven't really, like, loved one yet, except for really The Wild Bunch. But yeah. uh, definitely. Peck and Paul also sounds like a great name for a pet store. It's a good point. <laughs> Like, if this guy, if movies didn't work out, he could have been a vet easy. 
Yeah, and, and I wonder how much of that, like, that reputation he has as that kind of uh, director that you were filmmaker you were talking about, like, is just because, like, the era he was in, like, the, he's like a proto violent sure. action movie director guy. Yeah, in a time um, where there weren't really, like, violent movies. Uh, yeah. For the most part, yeah. Uh, but yes, I, I agree. Wild Bunch so far is the favorite one I've seen. Yeah. Uh, Straw Dogs, like, I guess check it out uh, if you're interested in, in that. You know, in Peckinpah's films, because uh, it is... And he made a movie called Straw Dogs. <laughs> this guy wanted so badly to be a veterinarian. He knew what he was doing. Uh, uh, but that's that's Straw Dogs. I have uh, two more movies. Uh, all right. The first of which is The Wicker Man from 1973, the OG... Uh, we covered the Nick Cage one on the Complete Works. You can go back and find that. <laughs> yes, uh, and, and I watched the original right before we did the remake too. Uh, so I have a, I had a full context for that one, but I haven't seen it oh, in a couple of years now. Interesting. Um, yeah, but re- you, you should remember that we reviewed the. I do remember that we, we reviewed the remake. <laughs> um, yes, but yeah, but I, it's been a couple. Why? Years what's since. it famous for? The bees? Uh, Is that what you're referencing? The bees? Not the bees? Nick Cage. I don't know. (laughs) What interest would you guys have in that movie? (laughs) (laughs) I can tell you this. The not the bees scene is not in the actual movie. And nobody realizes that. It's in the director's cut of the movie. Uh, Oh, uh, yeah. I actually only have seen the director's cut, so I didn't know that. Yeah, we We watched bamboozled. We watched the theatrical cut like a bunch of morons. Bunch of Luddites over there. I know. And so afterwards, we had to have like an extra special discussion about the Not the Bees scene. So you guys had to watch it twice? No. No. <laughs> we just oh. watched the theatrical cut and then, you know, the one-minute clip with Not the Bees. Uh, no, I just thought you guys were committed. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> uh, but you know what? I'm taking this over. We're all going to sit down right now and watch the full <laughs> director's cut followed by the theatrical cut. Sure. And then we're going to have an in-depth discussion about both. And we're going to leave God. the podcast then, running the whole time. And only then <laughs> can we move on with our regularly scheduled programming. Uh, but 1973's yes. The Wicker Man uh, <laughs> is actually really fucking good. I had like I didn't really know what to expect. It, I mean, I guess, you know, it has another cult classic uh, film. Yeah. Uh, you know, starring uh, Edward Woodward, which is a hell of a name. Good, good job on that guy. <laughs> uh, and Christopher Lee, which you can never go wrong with uh, yeah. Sir Christopher Lee. Is he a knight? I don't know. I'm going to decide he is now. He probably uh, is. Probably, right? He's British and he's old. Well, he's dead now, but he, he was British and he was, and he was old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's, those are the only qualifications, I the think. Only two He's still old. He yeah. didn't get younger when he died. <laughs> it's fair. Uh, but it's it's the same plot as the, the Cage one. It, it's actually really funny to watch. You know, a cop goes to investigate a, a missing person's report on this you know, secluded British isle. Uh, oh, I guess yeah. it's not a British isle in the Cage one. Uh, but, like, it, it was fun to be like, oh, that's what this scene is supposed to be, uh, comparing it to the Cage one. Um and it's it's actually really unsettling and and creepy as this this uh, cop slowly unravels what's going to go on in, in this town. Like he starts to uncover things, and then he thinks he's got it, and then what, it's got a really great twist at the end. Yes. And the thing that I was most shocked is the about, twist that it's the modern movie all, the whole time. Yeah, he walks onto the movie set of Nick, with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Mel Brooks directed, actually. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and then uh, the thing that I was most shocked about is is it's like a musical. There's like five or six yes. full musical numbers. Not yeah, the dance. Well, no, there's dances. There is um, some dancing. Yeah, it's a whole it's a whole musical scene. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Wait, what is this a bit? No, no it's a hundred percent serious. Hundred percent serious. Like I remember watching it a couple years ago and being like, nobody ever talks about how many songs there are in The Wicker Man. <laughs> um, but it's a real thing that exists. When you say songs, do you mean like? Is it like groups of people singing, yes, or yeah. is it like one person takes the stage? 
<laughs> I mean, both. There's a couple of a little bit of a mix, but like mostly That's it's fascinating. like group singing, like songs, yeah. like like from a musical. In the woods there grew a tree, and a fine, fine tree was he. And on that tree there was a limb, and on that limb there was a branch, and on that branch there was a nest, and in that nest there was an egg, and in that egg there was a bird, and from that bird a feather came, and of that feather was a bird. Yeah, and the songs are great too. They're really they are. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's wild. Yeah. <laughs> Very weird. This is baffling to me. Yeah. it's the, I don't know why no one talks about it because they definitely should. It makes yes. no sense. We should be talking about it all the time. I don't know why they got rid of the songs for the Nick Cage movie because we know that Nick Cage can sing. He's sung before in movies before in the past. Yeah. Wild at Heart and Peggy Sue Got Married. End of um, list. Uh, Mom and Dad. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't gotten to that one yet. We haven't gotten. We're close, though. We're close. Oh, God. Spoilers. I'm so sorry. Yeah. How dare. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I was watching this on, on uh, the Criterion Channel. It's available on the Criterion Channel right now. Uh, and my dad came in and was like, sat down for a little bit, like in the middle of the movie, or like probably the last act, yeah. <laughs> or you know, and was like, "What? What's going on?" And I explained. I was like, "Well, there's a missing person and the cop and like weird cult stuff." I think he's like, "Okay, all right." And he sat there for about like 25 minutes and was like, "Yeah, you need to be on acid to watch this." I think, and then got up and left. <laughs> Like, yeah, like, yeah, so pretty much. And that only led to more questions. Right? <laughs> and then the third act actually hit, and I was like, what the fuck? Um, yeah. Yeah, Wicker Man, the OG one, way better than the Nick Cage one, and actually very good. Yeah, and definitely a direct influence on Midsummer as well. Yes, uh, yes. Which we'll talk about oh, for sure. in that review. One of the early folk horror uh, films. Right. Uh, which I have another of I would like to discuss, or at least another folk horror film. Okay. Uh, called A Field in England from 2013, directed by Ben Wheatley, uh, who directed Free Fire, I believe, most recently? Yes, Free Fire. I think that oh. was the most recent movie, yeah, which I think, Vin, you were He's a He's got something fan, else right? coming out. Oh, no, the guy, the, one of the, the, the boyfriend in Midsummer was in Free Fire. Oh, oh uh, really? Oh, yeah, Jack Rayner. Yeah, yeah I don't know who he plays, but I know he's in it. Yeah, I do remember him being in Free Fire. That's neat. I didn't know about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, how about it's like a weird connection. Uh, yeah. and, and A Field in England is, is another one of those kind of folk horror movies. And the, the loose, the plot is uh, this group of deserters from a battle in the English Civil War, so it's like 1650, uh, are like, fuck this, I'm out. They fall through a hedgerow into this, to the field next to where they're having the battle. And they're like, I remember yeah. an alehouse when we were marching here. Let's go back to the alehouse. Uh, and it's across this field in England, and they have to march, you know, they're trying to get across it. And it, it's, you know, one of those things, uh, it reminded me of, like, The Witch in that, remember the subtitle for The Witch was, like, A New England Folktale? Yes. Uh, one of those things. Uh, it's kind of like, it, it doesn't have that subtitle, like a subtitle like that, but it has that feeling um, where they're marching across this field, and it's, like, going forever, and you're like, are these guys in purgatory? Are they in hell? Like, what, are they dead? Like, what's going on? Is it just a really long field? Yeah, like, are, is this real? Is any of this real? And then they find this other guy that's, like, in the field, and uh, he's like, hey, there's treasure here. If you help me find it, we'll split it. And they try to find this treasure, and then they, you know, start slowly going insane, and madness, and psychedelic shit. They're eating mushrooms, and it's crazy. Uh, and it's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeously shot. Um, I just should have looked up the cinematographer. I don't know because it looks amazing. It's in black and white. And there's this like one guy, 
uh, it's really interesting because it, it, there's both sides of the Civil War is represented. Like, there's the royalist, royalist guy and, like, the, the peasant guy. And, yeah. like, the royalist guy speaks, like, Shakespearean, uh, all this stuff. And the other guy's, like, just talking, like, Cockney slang. Uh, so it's really, like, hard to f- understand but fun uh, for that, that those characters to talk to each other. And it's just, it's it's wild. I don't know. I don't really know how to describe it. I don't know if there is a plot, quote-unquote, uh, other than these guys just trying to walk across this field and weird shit happens. Yeah, um, it sounds like a Ben Wheatley film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Cinematography by Laurie Rose, who also did Free Fire. Oh, look at that. Yep, there you go. I wonder if Free Fire looks as badass as this does. <laughs> uh, and, and one of the coolest things they do a lot um, in this, or, or a few times at least, uh, where, like, they'll be... The, the character will be like, oh, like, I have a favor to ask you guys. And then it will, like, smash cut to them just, like, in poses, like a Baroque painting. Like, they're just kind of, like, lazily pointing off to the side and stuff. But, like, but like they're still breathing and, like, the wind is flapping all their clothes and cloaks and hair. And they're blinking and, like, awkwardly looking at each other. Like, it kind of acknowledges that they're posing and stuff. Uh, there's, like, some weird fourth wall break stuff happening where the guy, like, turns and looks at the camera for no reason. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's very interesting. It's it's very surreal. Very weird. Oh, Mike, Michael Smiley's in this. <laughs> How could I forget? Oh. He was also in Free Fire. Uh. Oh yeah, <laughs> been... and the lobster, and the, he's 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 great. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he is. Uh, I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, yes, that dude is dope. He's on Luther yeah. also. That guy's great. <laughs> yeah. uh, he he's the weird dude in the field they find, uh, and he's very menacing and scary. Uh, the field in England. The field in England, yes. The titular field. The titular field. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of rambling about a field in England. People should check it out if you're interested in that kind of folk horror, weird, psychedelic stuff. Uh, cool. That Midsummer definitely is now another entry in that Nice. Did you, did you watch these movies before you saw Midsummer, or was it after? Before. And I can see a lot of uh, Wicker Man and a field in England in Midsummer. All right, cool beans. So we'll uh, get into that later on in the episode when we actually review Midsummer. Uh, For now, let's move on to my discussions, try to get through these uh, relatively quick so we can move on. But uh, anyway, I wanted to mention that I saw the new Child's Play remake. Tangerine outside. I think Chucky did something to her. Sweetie, Chucky is a toy, okay? It broke, you got rid of it. No, no, Mom, I saw him. I saw him following Marine. No, you didn't. Listen to what you're saying. Mom, he's gonna kill her! Chuck, why aren't you listening to me? I have it on Omar's phone. He's following Doreen. I I can show you. Why do you have Omar's phone? I took it. I why? I had to. I I had to follow Chucky, Mom. Okay. I'm not crazy, Mom! Stay right here, okay? Mom! And you're coming to work with me. He's trying to kill us! Uh, which came out a couple weeks ago. Uh, have you guys? Are you guys fans of the original Child's Play or any of the Chucky movies? Really? Uh, culturally, okay. Yeah, culturally, about that's about. I'm t- I was terrified of him as a child. Really? I, as far as the franchise goes, uh, I've seen bits and pieces of like various movies here and there. I definitely saw a good chunk of. I think it was Bride of Chucky when I was like yeah. ten, uh, and it was one of those things where I was like, "This is a weird." Like, I wasn't scared of it, but it was just like a weird thing. Like, I was like, "This is an odd film." Uh, but anyway, I, I had actually never seen the original Child's Play until like two days before I went to go see the remake. Uh, so I watched the original Child's Play, uh, and then I saw the remake. And I gotta say, honestly, the remake might be like a little bit better. <laughs> wow. What? What a, <laughs> what a twist. Uh, like, the original's pretty good. The, the original's pretty good. I think it was, um, I was, I was kind of scrolling through, uh, on Letterboxd, uh, for the original, and I think it was John Golson. 
Uh, I'm not sure exactly who it was, so don't exactly quote me on that, but uh, he said that the original Child's Play is a C-plus thriller with an A-plus character at the center of it. And I think that's a fair assessment of the original movie. Like, Chucky's great. The movie surrounding him is fine. Like, there's fine stuff in there, and there's some really memorable moments and some fun scares, but, like, nothing about it is, like, really, like, standout, spectacular, other than the fact that Chucky's there. This movie is almost like a parody. It's not really a parody. What it is, it, it takes the concept of Child's Play, like the core concept of just there being a killer doll, uh, and that doll is named Chucky, and, like, everything else about the movie is entirely different from the original. Like, it just kind of takes the concept and runs in the complete opposite direction of it. The original movie has uh, Brad Dorf as a serial killer who uses a voodoo spell to submit his consciousness into Chucky, and that's how he becomes Chucky. Uh, right. And this movie doesn't have any of that. It's uh, about, like, this uh, AI doll that, uh, like, is built in a factory, kind of goes haywire, and it's just kind of, like, technology gone awry type thing. Uh, this time around, the doll Chucky is played by Mark Hamill as well, uh, which is a lot of fun. Uh, Aubrey Plaza is the kid's mom in the movie, and I think it was I think it was Scott Tobias on Twitter who uh, described her performance as as if April Ludgate from Parks and Rec was told she had to be the mom in a Chucky movie. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. that is 100% accurate, and it's great. It's, it's actually, she, she's really funny in the movie. Uh, Brian Tyree Henry from Atlanta, and uh, who was Miles Morales' dad in Spider-Verse, uh, he's also in the movie, too. Oh, sick. Uh, and it's just, it's a good time. It's a pretty funny movie, some good set pieces, some good kills, uh, some gnarly stuff happening, uh, and it gets pretty bonkers towards the end. Uh, and Mark Hamill's killing it as Chucky. So I, I don't know how well this movie did at the box office. I don't know if it's going to make a ton of money or if they're going to make more of them, but if they do make more of them, like, I'd be down to see more of this version of Chucky. Uh, really? Yeah, I was, I was, yeah, I was as shocked as anybody, but it was a solid Did time. the doll look, like, did the doll look stupid? No, I mean it looked different than the original Chucky for sure, but it looked different in a, like different in a way that recalls the original, but is doing its own thing. Uh, and I think based on the, the actual properties of the doll and what it can do, I think the look of it was fine. Oh, did you hear the thing about uh, they had to think outside the box with the kills in this movie because Universal still owns the rights to Child's Play and all the sequels? I did not hear that, but I did know that the reason, like that's sort of the reason this movie was made, is because they don't. Like, it's weird because they're still making a Chucky thing with Brad Dorf. They're making, like, a TV show on sci-fi or something. What? Uh, yeah, that, that tracks. <laughs> uh, so they, they're still making, like, Chucky. But this is, like, I think this was New Line or something. Who had the rights to remake the original Child's Play and that's it or something. I don't really know. Uh, so that might be the reason why it had to do some, everything so differently than the original. Because they couldn't, like, you know, kind of step on any toes in terms of licensing. Um, yeah. But whatever happened, it happened in a solid way. It worked out. Child, Child's Play, the remake. It's, it's pretty good. Um, but there's also a movie. Sorry, I'm, I'm baffled by this. There's also a movie called Charles coming out. Uh, is there? Uh, what is that? It's an independent film, I think. Is it also? A, that's like. Is it also a, child's a play remake? remake? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> what? But it's like it's more closely related to the original. Okay. I've been I've been following this on IMDb for a while. It's like it blew. I'm sh- like I don't get it. But of all the '80s slasher properties to mine, this deeply. <laughs> It's Child's Play? That's the one? That's, that, that is really weird. Yeah, Child's Play considering and Charles. Considering we haven't had a new Friday the 13th movie in 10 years, you know, it's, or a new Nightmare on Elm Street in 9 years, it's like, come on, like, you know, do yeah. one of those if you're going to do something. Uh, Child's Play definitely felt like something that wasn't as big as those movies, but for some reason, Child's Play, man, people can't get enough of Chucky. He's I guess thing. that's it. Um, but yeah, but it's a solid time. Child's Play 2019 is worth checking out if you're a horror fan. Also saw the new Danny Boyle movie, which is written by uh, Rich, Richard Curtis, the writer of Love Actually, uh, and that is Yesterday. About the song, the, the title, Hey Jude. Jude is just, it's a bit old-fashioned. That was the kid's name, right? Okay. That the song's about. 
Oh, the kid, the kid, the kid yes, the, the, the sad kid. Now, let me just give you this advice, right? Song title. I won't charge you a penny for it as well. Hey, dude. Hey, dude. Hey, dude. Are you sure? He's right. That's, that's so much better. Is he? Is it? Yeah, yeah. Hey, dude. Mm -hmm. Don't make it bad. Definitely going to be one of the best songs of the generation. Hey, dude. Don't make it bad. The idea behind this movie is that a guy, a struggling musician in Britain, wakes up one day. Uh, after getting hit on a, it like by a bus during like this worldwide blackout that lasts for like 14 seconds, he wakes up uh, to discover that he is the only one in the world who remembers the Beatles. The Beatles just didn't exist in this world. Uh, and here's the thing about this premise: I, I, I will say I think the movie is fine as is. I think it's fun, it's charming, it's funny. Uh, it has a great soundtrack, obviously, because it's full of Beatles songs. But I every throughout the entire thing, I'm thinking like you know. There's a much more interesting version of this movie at, like, every turn. There, at every turn this movie makes, I was like, oh, this could go in this direction. It'd be really interesting. And it doesn't do that. Uh, <laughs> like, and there's millions of ways this movie could have been, like, great. Like, the, the central premise of the Beatles not existing, like, that fundamentally changes the entire world, theoretically. Like, yeah. if, if, if you, in real, in real life, if you took out the Beatles, uh, like, the entire pop culture landscape would be different. Uh, you know, music as a whole would have evolved in an entirely different way. Uh, but even just beyond music, you know, you start thinking about things like, well, if the Beatles don't exist, then would the Manson murders have ever happened or something like that? You know, and if the Manson murders didn't happen, would Roman Polanski have raped that girl and fled the country or something? <laughs> you know, it's like one of the, like, you start extrapolating past that, you know, it's like one of those. I, yeah, I get it. Yep. <laughs> anyway, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood comes out July 26th. <laughs> But, uh, you know, and stuff like that. And so, and, you know, the entire landscape of the world would be different if the Beatles didn't exist. But in the world of this movie, the Beatles not existing doesn't change anything. Like, the world is exactly the same. It just doesn't have, doesn't have Beatles songs in it. Which makes me think, like, the movie is, like, positing the idea that, like, oh, like, the Beatles songs were nice, but they weren't that important or something. Ultimately, art is meaningless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, like... Paul McCartney is somewhere in like the north of England working on cars in a mechanic <laughs> shop. A just like, well, they, they actually, oh, they actually you know, kind of could have been me. They kind of address that a little bit in the movie uh, too, which is actually which is one of the more interesting parts of the movie that it takes. But you know, it's, it, it is like a thing where it's like, okay, once this guy starts covering Beatles songs, he becomes like a pretty much overnight sensation. And then it's like, well, you know, if the world of music was exactly the same as it is today, even though the Beatles didn't exist, all right, I can buy into that premise as best I can. But then once you start playing, like, She Loves You, Yeah, 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 like, that's not going to be a song that, like, catches on fire in 2019. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? It's just not, it's just, it's not going to be one of those songs. And he becomes, like, this massive overnight hit. He's, like, the most successful artist of all time. And so he has, like, the same basic career trajectory as the Beatles, but just without, you know, any, it, it's a very weird take on the Beatles' place in pop culture. I wonder uh, if this is one of those weird things that it comes very close to, like, your area of expertise as a radio person uh, i think like, that is yeah <laughs> yeah and it's just like it's too close to you for you to be able to have that like uh, uh 
suspension of disbelief. It's like I I think your take is very valid and interesting. And I just wonder. <laughs> I just thought of it. I was like, but this is sort of your job, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. And I'm a huge Beatles fan too. I mean, I've loved the Beatles my entire life. I mean, basically, who isn't? As this movie posits, but right. you know, it's it is one of those things where it's like, yeah, I, I think if you're hardcore into Beatles, this movie might not be for you. If you're a casual Beatles fan. You'll probably enjoy it more because then you, you're not like thinking to yourself, well, like, man, an album that like I think one of the great things about the Beatles <laughs> is that, you know, they're, they were a pop band to start with that kind of gradually over time, over the course of eight years, became a way more experimental and interesting band. If Sgt. Uh, Peppers doesn't come out, does the summer of love even happen? Does Vietnam ever end? <laughs> Does guys, we're in a theater right now. Can you can you quiet down? <laughs> but like I'm trying to watch this movie, I paid fifteen dollars for this ticket. But, and... but like, imagine like the way the the movie like structures his album because he basically makes this like big double album of Beatles songs that becomes this big thing. Uh, like you know, he's po- he's doing like the Beatles' greatest hits. Right. You know, so he's putting like you know, Help on the same disc as I Am the Walrus, and it's just it's like yeah, nice. those songs don't like they sound like entirely different bands. Right. Is the thing because they're some, from such different eras of the Beatles' career, even though the Beatles were only around for like ten years. Uh, so it's as somebody who really loves the Beatles, it's like really weird to watch and see like that kind of thing happen. I saw somebody on Twitter um, post the idea that uh, you know said they said something to the effect of like this is going to sound really pretentious, um, but yesterday is a movie for Beatles fans who only own the Beatles one album. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and that's wow. the take that I uh, that I agree with. It's 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 fun. Like it's a fun enough time. The romance is funny and fun. And you know Himesh Patel, who's the lead of the movie, he's actually really great. I, I liked him a lot in the movie. Lily James is his love is a love interest who was in Baby uh, Driver. The love of my life. That's what I'm saying. I love Lily James. <laughs> uh, yeah, she was in Baby Driver and Mamma Mia Two, and she's great. Uh, and you know, um, I'm sorry, what? And Mamma Mia Two. Do you mean? Oh, do you mean Mamma Mia? Here we go again. Yes. <laughs> sorry. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Use the I just full thought. Title. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Uh, respect the movie, please. <laughs> uh, so you know, Kate McKinnon's in it, and she's reliably pretty funny. And uh, you know, it does a couple of things that are kind of interesting. There is one. There's one great joke uh, actually in the movie early on when he first discovers that the Beatles don't exist. Uh, throughout the movie, he kind of discovers that other things also don't exist, like cigarettes don't exist in this world anymore, and that kind of thing. Uh, but there's one great joke. When he first discovers that the Beatles don't exist, he starts looking up other bands on Google to see if they exist. And he looks up the Rolling Stones, and, and then they exist. And he looks up Childish Gambino, and he's like, oh, man, he's, he's still there. Thank God. And then he looks up Oasis, and they don't exist anymore. <laughs> 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 and, he's, and, he's like, and then he thinks about it for a second. He's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, which was a pretty great joke. But uh, anyway, yeah, so that is Yesterday, the new movie from Danny Boyle, who, uh, you know, I, lo- I like Danny Boyle. His stuff is usually kind of... Hit or miss for me, but when he hits, he hits pretty hard. This one, I think, kind of a mid-tier Danny Boyle movie, but a solid, you know, time nonetheless. At least, you, know, you sit down, you enjoy some Beatles songs, and you get out and get on with your life. You want the version of this where the Beatles not existing is the the lead up to Twenty Eight Days Later? Yes, <laughs> where the Ooh. world just falls apart and doesn't just collapses. You just pitched a way better movie. Yeah. Hundred percent. That's the movie I want to see. I want to see like if you take out the Beatles, how different the world is. I want to see uh, the Man in the High Castle, but for the Beatles. You know, yeah. like, that's, <laughs> that's that's what I want. <laughs> and so wait, oh, can I ask like a question about this movie? It, it's going to be like mad spoilery, so like I can just ask this after. You can ask. It's or fine. We can cut this out. Go ahead. Like, is it all just like a dream? Oh no, it's it's one hundred percent. It's just what happens in the movie. Like one day he wakes up and the Beatles just don't exist anymore. Uh, oh, and then the movie just ends like that. Yeah, yeah, it's not a dream. It's just a thing that happens. Oh my in the God, movie. that's amazing. Yeah, it's it, wow. it, like, he, he never like restores 
Like, you never restore the balance of the movie. Like, the Beatles never come back. He never goes uh, back. So it's to not like uh, the Martin instead. Lawrence vehicle, Black Knight, where he wakes up in, in the puddle at the end. <laughs> Black Knight sure. is a great movie, first off. <laughs> Second <laughs> off, what a deep say pull. it wasn't. That, I thought that was a pretty deep pull. I, I have not seen Black Knight. Um, but anyway. It's great. I'm, I'm not talking about The Dark Knight. I am aware. With Christian Bale and Heath Ledger. <laughs> I am aware. I'm talking about Black Knight. With Martin, the Martin Lawrence. Lawrence medieval vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to check that out. Uh, anyway, let's get off yesterday. I have one, a couple other things I wanted to mention in discussions. Actually, another music-related thing. Uh, a new documentary on Netflix called Rolling Thunder Review, a Bob Dylan story by Martin Scorsese. Summer 1975. A rumor came around that the inspired Dylan was back. Uh, gathering all of his forces. I want to tell you something. <laughs> The idea was to put a tour up. We should be playing 20,000 seats. But instead, he wanted all these small venues. We really run a short time. I want to introduce Dylan. Boy, sure hope he gets to Boston on time. Where have you been? The tour was a catastrophe. Where have you been? It wasn't a success. Not if you measure success in terms of profit. The nation was so divided. So they embarked on a journey through America. Now, Martin Scorsese uh, has a new Netflix movie coming out at the end of this year called The Irishman, which we're pretty psyched about here. Uh, You know, with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, and it's going to be a new Scorsese movie. It's going to be awesome. Did not realize they had a new documentary also coming out on Netflix this year until like a couple days before this came out. Uh, And basically, uh, this is a documentary about the Rolling Thunder Review Tour that uh, Bob Dylan went on in 1975 uh, with uh, Joan Baez and Allen Ginsberg and a couple of other... Uh, pretty interesting names. Uh, and what's interesting about this documentary, I mean, A, Martin Scorsese has actually made a Bob Dylan documentary in the past uh, called No Direction Home, which is also great. Um, but this one's much more like hyper-specific on just like this one year in Bob Dylan's tour and also kind of this America in general. But it's also... Most of it is fake. Um, it's, <laughs> it's as if the Beatles didn't exist in... <laughs> <laughs> And then zombies. And then zombies. zombies. No, what, not what technically say- zombies. No. <laughs> what, what I'm saying is that uh, a lot of the movie is lies. It's it's all a lot of it is made up. What uh, the fuck? What I'm <laughs> uh, the, the movie begins with Bob, like a talking head interview with Bob Dylan, and he's like, "Yeah, man, I don't even remember what happened on the Rolling Thunder Review tour. That was like a whole different person ago, um, or something, something along those lines." And then throughout the movie, like certain people will come up, and some of them are like playing characters. Sharon Stone is in the movie, and she's like, "Yeah, so on, when I was 17, I went to go see the Rolling Thunder Review tour. I ended up going on tour with them for like a whole year. All of it's made up. All of it is lies. Uh, and some of the stuff that they're talking about is true, and some of it is fake. And you're like you're kind of trying to decipher what's real and what isn't. Uh, but if you don't know that going in, I, I don't think you would know that all of it's fake. It's 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 one of those things. It really reminds me actually of Exit Gift Shop. Um, if you've seen that movie, uh-huh. uh, the Banksy documentary. Uh, but this is Martin Scorsese telling a Bob Dylan story, and I think it's it's really fun. Uh, the thing that is not fake, of course, is the performances, and the performances in this movie are outstanding. There's some like incredible like just 1975 Bob Dylan. It's mostly electric stuff from him and it's just him like he had so much energy in the 70s it's like insane watching him perform especially if you've seen videos of him performing more recently and it's like ooh, it's it's night it's night and day but yeah it's really cool and you know i, I love bob dylan almost as much almost as much as i love the beatles and uh so there's like sections of the movie that are like uh you know the last of 20 minutes are just about him writing hurricane and all the thing about that song and actually uh uh reuben carter the her- the guy the song's about uh actually appears in the movie too which they must have filmed that filmed that years ago because he died a few years ago but uh yeah so it's a it's a really cool documentary about martin scorsese just know that it's not entirely uh, factual 
and basically. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, right on. Yeah. I actually saw Bob Dylan probably like within the past five years oh, really? at the Chance or uh, at the Civic Center. Really at the Civic Center? Okay. Yeah, I went with my mom, who uh, spoiler alert worked for Bob Dylan. Sit. Okay. Back in the so day, you gotta expand on what that is. Like what? <laughs> what happened there? So she basically went to uh, I, you know those like agencies where you go and they basically are like, all right, we're gonna send you out for this not a temp agency, but they're like, we're gonna send you to this. In- they help you get interviews. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So she went to one of those and it was like some accounting job. And she went, she interviewed, she got booked, she rolled up to the office, went inside, and, like, Bob Dylan was in there. <laughs> what? <laughs> and she was, uh, she helped kind of bring checks to the bank. She helped pay, like, for the rights to different things, to different, like, distribution companies. She managed his catalog. And there are certain albums where she, like, typed up the books. Really? With the lyrics. Whoa. That's so yeah, cool. I sw- I know. Again, I know this sounds like something I would make up. <laughs> sounds like something but from like, this movie. I, I have an album yeah. up in my room that's like signed to Irene. Uh, she's thanked in a couple of the special thanks sections on various albums. Under it just says Irene. That's awesome. Um, and she, I forget what this was. It was something in the '80s. It was like uh, party for like the X anniversary of one of his albums. And she's low-key just kind of in the background of this Entertainment Tonight interview with, like, whoever this, like, they were interviewing. She's just chilling. We looked it up on YouTube. It's maybe, like, a 10-second clip with her in it exists. That's amazing. And it's mad blurry. But, like, yeah. I'm, I I can look at it and be like, okay, yeah, that's definitely my mom in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So tomorrow when you wake up and discover the world doesn't remember who Bob Dylan is, uh, <laughs> you'll have all this fun. Yeah, you'll you'll uh, be able to become the new bob dylan you have the inside source oh god yeah i guess i could i know most of the words to hurricane <laughs> there are a lot of words not to comfortable hurricane. saying the n-word though oh, so well, maybe yeah. maybe not all you got to do is just mumble around if you don't remember the words because that's generally how it works for a bob dylan song <laughs> yeah fair oh 100 yeah she's got some wild stories about like she like met david bowie at a party she casually dropped that on me in the car like what a couple months ago I was I was playing uh, I was playing some song. She's like, "Who is this?" I was like, "Oh, this is Bowie." She's like, "Oh, I met him. We we you know we had a drink at this party together." I was like, "What?" So casual. So the about next it. episode, we're gonna have Vin's mom on because yes. she's way cool. You should. She would be an infinitely more entertaining guest than I. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So that is Rolling Thunder review of Bob Dylan's story by Martin Scorsese. Uh, definitely worth checking out. I think it's a really cool uh, Bob Dylan documentary, and it's a new Martin Scorsese joint. So why wouldn't you check it out? Uh, and then finally got one more thing on Netflix to talk about. And this actually came out a few months ago and it was one of those things I've been putting off for a while. Uh, and I hated myself for putting it off, but I couldn't bring myself to watch it. Arrested Development season five, part two. Now, are you guys, uh, Mike, you've only watched the first three seasons of Arrested Development, right? Yes, correct. Okay. And ditto. Yeah, you've, you've also only watched the first three then? I, I've seen a little bit of four. I didn't really, couldn't really get into okay. it. Okay. I, I am a huge defender of season four. I actually like that season a lot. I think it's a really ambitious kind of messy masterpiece. Um, but, you know, after uh, I, I, I know I'm definitely in the minority on that opinion. Uh, so, you know, when season five, part one rolled around last year, um, it, it made a very concerted effort to go back to the way the show used to be back in seasons one, two and three. The cast was together a lot more often. It was structured more like the little episodes. And it was fine. It was a pretty good like season, I thought, or half season, I thought. Uh, you know, I definitely felt like it was, you know, a little bit weaker than it used to be. But I, I was able to enjoy it for what it was. Uh, season five, part two, it's bad. It's, it's, there's no like getting around it. It's really rough. These like last eight episodes are genuinely pretty terrible. And I was like trying to hold out, Uh uh, like after the first two episodes, I was like, man, this is not going to be a good journey for me. Is it? Um, (laughs) but it's honestly, it's honestly, maybe it's one of the steepest declines in quality of a TV show that I think I've ever seen. It's one of those things where it's like, 
Remember uh, season eight of The Office where James Spader was there for a year when oh, after yeah. Steve Carell left? That's what this season of Arrested Development is. It's it just season feels like nine it's, of Scrubs or whatever. Yes, Scrubs Med School. Yeah, no, this is this kind of feels like that. Where it's just it's you know all the characters are there. Most of the characters are there. Lindsay's not in the this season, but uh, most of the characters are there, and they're all recognizably the same actors. But they just don't feel like the same characters they used to, and the writing isn't as sharp as it used to be. And it's so drawn out. It's so long. Every episode is at least a half hour, or just about a half hour. Um, whereas you know the network used to run like twenty two minutes. Um, and that's been a problem with season four too, where they would run the episodes too long uh, as well. But this one just feels like, you know, there's just a bunch of bullshit that's just not. <laughs> like it's just, you know, they'll just spend it, like two extra minutes on a scene that's like done, and it's like, ah, come on, guys, just just wrap it up, please. And then the finale is like genuinely terrible. It's like I think it's a really bad ending for the show. Uh, just overall, not good, not not good, not good. I was very uh, disappointed with the uh, season five part two. Of Arrested it's Development. It's a real bummer. It is. Uh, so I, I would recommend if you're an Arrested Development fan, probably just stick it, stick the way it is for you guys, seasons one through two and three, the original run of the show. I do like season four a lot, but season four ends on a lot of cliffhangers as season five wraps up. Um, so you got to watch season oh. five if you like, like, like you kind of have to watch season five if you want if you want to get the answers to the questions that you are left with in season four. So, honestly, it's probably worth it just sticking with the original three seasons. It was a good run. Like th- Those three seasons are classic. I think some of the most perfect TV comedy ever made. And then there's this. And it's just... <laughs> it's, it's, it's really bad. Aww, it's really sad. rough. It's a, It was definitely a, a bummer to watch. Uh, and honestly, I feel like I'm one of the only people who actually stuck around and watched through... <laughs> Season five, part two. Uh, like uh, by the time this dropped on Netflix back in March, there was like no press for it at all anymore. It's one of those things. Well, Jeffrey Tambor was in the middle of a firestorm. Well, yes, that too. That was actually when part one came out. Um, when that, when all that was going down, uh, and then part two, which came out this past March, like it just kind of like you know there was not even a firestorm. It was just, <laughs> it was just, it was, there was it like a, there wasn't day. even a, a match that was had burned out. Yeah, it basically, yeah, it, it it had burned out. That's the metaphor that will end uh, that segment on. But yeah. All right. So anyway, that's the discussion segment. Ran way longer than I meant it to. Uh, so let's move on. My bad. <laughs> it's, it's all of our bads. It's all of our bads collectively. Uh, all right. So let's move on, guys, into our featured review of Spider-Man: Far From Home. Heads up, Nick Fury's calling you. I don't really want to talk to Nick Answer Fury. The phone. Why? Because if you don't talk to him, then I have to talk. To him. I don't want to talk to him. You sent Nick Fury to voicemail? I gotta go. You do not ghost Nick Fury. What up, dorks? What's up? We're just talking about the trip. I'm here in St. Marco Polo's. Oh, I think MJ really likes me. That reminds me when I first fell in love. You're a very difficult person to contact, Spider-Man. This is Mr. Beck. Who could have used someone like you on my world? New world? Beck is from Earth, just not ours. A snap to our hole in our dimension. You're saying there's a multiverse? We have a job to do, and you're coming with us. There's gotta be someone else you can use. What about Thor? Off world. Captain Marvel. Unavailable. But I'm just a friendly neighborhood Spider Man. Bitch, please, you've been to space. What do you want, Peter? I want to go back on my trip with the girl who I really like and tell her how I feel. MJ, I am Spider-Man. No, of course I'm not. I mean, it's 
Kind of obvious. All right, that was from the trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home, the new movie written by Chris McKenna and Eric Summers and directed by John Watts. Uh, it stars Tom Holland, uh, Zendaya, Samuel L. Jackson, Kobe Smulders, John Favreau, Jacob Badaland, J.B. Smoove, Martin Starr, Angori Rice, Tony Revolori, Marissa Tomei, and Jake Gyllenhaal, among others. And the INDB plot synopsis for Spider-Man Far From Home reads... Following the events of Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man must step up to take on new threats in a world that has changed forever. So, guys, I mean, we're all big Spider-Man fans here. I'm a huge, like, I'm a diehard Spidey fan, my favorite superhero of all time. Uh, have loved Spider-Man since basically I could walk. I think I had Spider-Man pajamas when I was, like, three years old or something like that. Uh, so, that's more detail than you need, just to <laughs> clarify that I'm a, it's huge, a good I mental use a little bit more. Huge, huge Spider-Man fan. Uh, and you guys are also, you know, Spider-Man fans, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, fair enough. Uh, now, Vin, did you ever? Uh, I remember when um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse came out uh, back in 2018. Uh, Mike and I both ranked it pretty high on our list, and you mentioned that you had no interest in the movie, and we were both like, "What the fuck, man?" Uh, so, have you, <laughs> have you have you watched Spider-Verse yet? I've seen it like four times. It's amazing. <laughs> Thank God, good. <laughs> it's so good. I I didn't. It was just the animation style that like put me the off. Best but part once of I it, saw it, I was able to like yeah. comprehend it. <laughs> yeah, once once yeah, I guess when you see the trailer, some like I, I thought it looked awesome from the get go, but when you see the trailer, it's like tough to like it, it just looks very different from every other animated movie out there, and so it's like it's one of those things where you gotta get used to it a little bit. Um, but my yeah, well, brain couldn't figure it out, right? But, and that put me off, and then it won the Oscar, and I was like, ah, maybe we'll go see it. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's on Netflix, so you can watch it anytime you want. Oh, I, yeah, I've watched it again. I watched it on the plane ride to L.A., threw it on the plane ride back, yeah. watched it when I found that it came on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, Spider-Verse is awesome. So uh, that, that's a totally tangential aside. What was your hype level going into Spider-Man Far From Home? I was incredibly excited because I had no idea what to expect. All right. This was going to be our first post-Endgame movie. I had no idea. I knew that this was, like, tentatively the end of Phase 3, as the, or as they said. But I was just excited. I was excited to see, like, uh, where they were going to go. I love Jake Gyllenhaal. So the fact that he was playing uh, Mysterio as, like, maybe a good guy, maybe a bad guy. And, like, nobody knew going in. Right. He was like, I'm from a different dimension. And it was like, oh, God, are they going to do the multiverse? Or There's just so many questions. Yeah, or is he just uh, lying because he's Mysterio? Um. <laughs> yeah, or is he just suck? Um, <laughs> and it, I really like Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Cool. And I think Tom Holland's a super talented actor, and to just see the fallout of Endgame in a kind of done comedically was super cool. <laughs> all right, so all right, so now let's yeah get into it. What's your what are your overall thoughts on Spider-Man: Far From Home? I'm talking to you again, Ben. Yes. Oh, great, great. <laughs> Gary, you want to take? Uh, I think it's the best live action Spider-Man movie we've ever had. You're insane. Uh, but uh, <laughs> by like a mile. <laughs> Uh, I think Jake Gyllenhaal get off this podcast right <laughs> is one of the best villains. Can I say that, or do we have to wait for the spoiler section? <laughs> I mean, the movie plays that as a spoiler, but yeah, I, I guess like we all knew. You right? know, he's the character. All right, oh, just continue. my favorite thing about the movie was that the first half of the movie, you're like, wow, Jake Gyllenhaal's really not doing a good job in this, <laughs> and the second half of the movie, you're like, wow, Jake Gyllenhaal did the best job in this. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. And I just I love I love Ned as a character. I love the 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 numerous kind of schlubby fat dudes that get like cute girlfriends in this movie. <laughs> you really I you really the, related to that. You were like, oh man. <laughs> I did. I did. I was like, thank goodness. See some. Not that I'm schlubby, 
per se. <laughs> uh, but like, I was like, damn, it's good to see there's some nice representation up on screen. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, and Martin Starr and JB Smoove are like great. I want that yeah. movie, TVH, of Martin Starr. Yeah, the... I'd watch that buddy comedy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that'd be pretty great. Uh, all right, Mike, what's your overall thoughts on Spider-Man: Far From Home? My overall thoughts on Far From Home are that it, it, it's it's a delightful romp. It's it's like just a fun. It's a fun time. It's incredibly dark. Uh, you know, especially the subject matter. Like you kind of referenced in the the Boom Goes the Dynamite in the very beginning of the episode. Uh, you know, it's the, uh, the fallout of, of Endgame and the, the tragedy that uh, that Peter Parker has gone through, and him dealing with that trauma and stuff. But at the same time, it's that Spidey, that Spidey light, quippy uh, funness. It's goofy. It's fun. It's doing all the things you want in a Marvel movie. I think. Um, I think Gyllenhaal is great in this movie. I think everyone's pretty great in general. Um, I'm really glad to see. Oh, I don't remember the actress's name that plays Betty. I believe. That's uh, Angoria Rice from The Nice Guys. Yes, who? That's what I was going to say. It was incredible yes. in The Nice Guys, and when she was in Homecoming, like just doing that one, like uh, you know, morning announcements bit, I was like, yes. "Oh man, please don't waste her because she's incredible in The Nice Guys, and she gets a yeah. lot more to do in Far From Home." And I was pumped for that. Um, Definitely. And she's fun, and, and yeah, JB Smoove and Martin Starr. I, like I said, I want that movie because they're amazing, <laughs> uh, and it's 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 good. It does all the things. It's fun, uh, but I do have to be honest. I think I've hit the point where, like, I'm kind of over it on the MCU, guys. Like, I never thought the day would come. <laughs> and I, oh, like, I walked out of the movie, like, satisfied and was like, I'd probably be fine if I didn't see any more, <laughs> which is insane. Even with that post credit scene? Yeah. I mean, like, the post credit scene's great, and we'll talk about it, and it was fun. But I didn't have that level, like, I have had in every other 24, 22 other movies, uh, where after the post credit scene, I was like, holy shit, give me that movie now. And I was yeah. kind of like... Yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> do you think that? Do you think that was just because you know you're you're post Endgame now? Like Endgame was like the final one for you, and now you're kind of just like deflating a little bit. I, th- I th- we're in the Endgame we're now. We're in the Endgame now, personally <laughs> for me. Uh, but yeah, no, I think that's probably what it is. Where that was such a a neat bow to wrap up the whole thing, and then you kind of have a moment. It, it was definitely like a like one of those moments where you like step back and realize that oh the top six earning movies of this year are all Disney movies. They have three more other movies or whatever coming out this year. They're going to make every dollar. I'm sure. kind of just, will... like, done with the Monopoly. <laughs> and, okay. and You know what I mean? I, I don't so know. This, is more really of a meta, this is more of a metatextual fatigue for you than it is an actual fatigue of the MCU, maybe? Well, I mean, I think uh, it ties back into it, you know, where you're sure. kind of just getting, we're going to get three movies, three Marvel movies a year forever or two or whatever the hell. We don't know their <laughs> schedule precisely. Don't right. threaten me with a good time. I, like, that's what I used to think. I was like, is that a promise or a threat? And I loved it. And I don't know. I mean, I'm sure the next one, I'll be hyped for it. But for right now... I'm kind of, like, down on it. I, I think Spider-Man, like I said, it's good. I liked it. It had fun. It does all the things I wanted it to do. I I'm, I'm just would be satisfied if there were no more. <laughs> but there's going to be a million, so, sure. like, whatever. Yeah, I will say, in at least in Spider-Man's case, this is not a Disney release. This is technically a Sony movie. Yeah, okay, um, fine, whatever. So it's it's Marvel. It's Disney adjacent, for sure, but it's, you know, Marvel is developing the movie with Sony, but it is a yeah. Sony release. Like, Sony gets all the profits out of it, I think. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Which, I, even, anyway. honestly, I thought, was real quick, I did notice that at the beginning, like, you know, there's the intro thing, you know, it's like the Columbia Pictures logo or whatever. Yeah. And then there's, like, a couple minutes before the Marvel one, and I was like, who the fuck do you think you are, Sony? <laughs> to put Sony Sony flexing those big yeah notes. to make it wait for the Marvel logo Marvel yeah. Pictures logo 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So I will say, yeah, as far as Far From Home goes, I enjoyed it. thought it was fun. Uh, I, I, I caught some flack on Twitter this past week. Uh, when I put out a ranked list of all these Spider-Man movies, uh, Mike, I don't know if you, did you see this list? I uh, don't I know out? if I did. You didn't? Okay. Cause, uh, I had a lot of people respond to it. Um, aghast that I had placed uh, Spider-Man 3 at number 4 on the list. <laughs> uh, <laughs> out of eight movies. So, you know, three Tobey Maguire movies, the two Amazing Spider-Man movies, and the two uh, Tom Holland movies that exist. And Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, also in there. Uh, so as far as my concern was, the, ori- the number one was Spider-Man 2, second was Into the Spider-Verse, and the third was the original Spider-Man, and then my number four was Spider-Man 3, which meant I placed Spider-Man 3 above Homecoming and Far From Home. How dare you? So I want to take a moment right now to defend that view (laughs) and explain my reasoning a little bit, which is that Spider-Man 3 is a mess. Like, it's 100%. Like, it's a mess of a movie. But it's a mess that has a lot of style and personality uh, and a lot of memorable action set pieces and a great villain with Sandman and... Uh, like all of Sam Raimi's uh, Spider-Man movies and the best Spider-Man comics, I think it's committed to the idea of Peter Parker and Spider-Man being at odds with one another. Uh, Not everything in the movie really works, mostly thanks to the studio meddling and Venom and all that stuff, but I would argue that most people who say Spider-Man 3 is one of the worst comic book movies ever or or the worst Spider-Man movie have probably not seen it in about 10 years. Um, (laughs) That'd be my guess. And there's a lot of good stuff in that movie they've forgotten about. And you contrast Spider-Man 3, which, you know, really swung for the fences at the time and decided to get bonkers, with Homecoming and Far From Home, which are movies that just feel much safer to me. Uh, Like Spider-Man with the edges kind of sanded off a little bit. Like, they're fun. I enjoy them. I like Spider-Man. I like Tom Holland. I like the cast they've assembled for these movies. Um, But they feel more like products created by a committee that spent two years focus testing a Spider-Man movie. Um, as opposed to like a distinctive vision from a strong filmmaker like Sam Raimi, uh, and the only one that has come close to that since, or that actually reaches that since, is Into the Spider Verse, uh, which, like we mentioned before, is amazing. Everybody's watching Spider Verse all yes, the time. Exactly. It's, it's great. Uh, so yeah, Far From Home. I enjoyed it. I think it's a good enough time with characters I like hanging out with. Uh, the first half was like a little iffy for me, uh, but once it started to really let loose with Mysterio stuff, I had a lot more fun with the movie. You know, like I said, Spider Man fan for life. Mysterio has always been one of my favorite villains, and I am so happy with the way he was handled in this movie. Whenever yeah. he's not on screen, all the other characters should be asking, where's Mysterio? <laughs> which they, which they, which they kind of do, actually. Um, yeah, they're like, where's, um, uh, what's his name? We don't know. Uh, Mysterio. Mysterio. Where is he? <laughs> yeah. Who is he? Yes, and of course, Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio. He's a ton of fun. I think the way his powers are depicted are really interesting and entertaining, and it's just uh, very visually cool. Uh, And obviously, this movie takes place after Endgame and gives us a glimpse into the world of the MCU now that everyone who uh, was snapped away has suddenly come back five years later. Uh, And I think, you know, it does that in a kind of comedic way, which, you know, is fun, but I I really wanted, like, a more, like, in-depth, like, you know, show us the shocking truth... (laughs) behind what happens when, you know, the like half the world's population suddenly reappears five years later or whatever. Uh, and the movie never, like, dwells too much on that. And that's that's probably on me. Like, that's probably, you know, on me. I, I keep expecting to, like, delve deep into, like, the ramifications of the snap and the blip, uh, you know, in a way that, like, it's the leftovers, but in Marvel Universe fashion. <laughs> Uh, and it, like they're never going to be that, and I get that. You know, Especially of all the movies that were definitely not going to go that route, it was a Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a thousand percent. You know? I, know, I know. I just felt like this was such a like breath of fresh air after Endgame and Infinity War, where it was like so lighthearted. And I this is the first movie. Now maybe this is just me losing my edge, but I, I felt like this was the first movie in a minute where I didn't like know what was going to happen. Really? Other than the Mysterio thing. Yeah, I was going to say, the Mysterio thing, that comes from a mile away. And honestly, like, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's 
I, I never really felt like surprised by anything in the movie except for the first post credit scene for one specific reason, and we'll talk about that when spoilers. Um, I, I bet I know which which oh. of the two it is. Honestly, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, the second post credit scene has a reveal in it too, and I was kind of leaning on to the fact that something was iffy and weird throughout the movie. Uh, but again, we'll talk about that later. But uh, yeah, but I, I think this movie had a real opportunity to do something unique and dramatic with the concept of like you know half the world's population returning to the world. Uh, and I don't think it ever took that leap. Like, imagine how different this movie would be if, you know, the Beatles never snapped. existed. If, <laughs> <laughs> if the Beatles were Thanos snapped, snapped his fingers and the Beatles were erased from history. <laughs> Plus, so but I feel like it's the same complaint, both movies. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Um, but like, what, like, what if like Peter was snapped, but Aunt May wasn't? What if Aunt May had lived like five years without Peter there? Yeah. Uh, and then we have to deal with like that, like you know, go go deep into like what that means and like the emotions that she's dealing with, and like possibly deal with Peter's guilt over leaving Aunt May to go on this school trip or something. Like you know, after returning home so soon, uh, you know, it's you know, a, a while back, you know, did you guys, you you played the Spider-Man PS4 game, Mike? I know you did. Vin, yes. did you play the PS4 game? No, you didn't. Okay, the PS4 game's great. Uh, highly recommend playing that if you get a chance. But uh, a while back, the director of that PS4 game uh, said something that I think got really got to the heart of what makes a Spider-Man story work, which is, uh, to paraphrase, uh, when they were making the spiders. games... They... <laughs> it's spiders. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's a component, for sure. <laughs> um, when, when they were making the game, they went through like these stacks and stacks of old comics and came to the conclusion that the best Spider-Man stories always go one of two ways, basically. Spider-Man wins, but Peter Parker loses, or vice versa, Peter Parker wins... But Spider-Man loses. Like, you know, if, if something's going right in one world, it's going very poorly for Peter in the other world. And I think that's what the game gets really right. I think that's what the Sam Raimi movies get really right. And I think it's what the MCU movies have, like, kind of done. But, like, they seem much more preoccupied with letting Peter bounce around with other MCU heroes. Uh, you know, they they kind of use the MCU as, like, this uh, thing to prop Spider-Man up when it's like, Spider-Man doesn't need that. Spider-Man's a good enough character on his own where he can just do a solo movie. Uh, and based on where this movie ends, I feel like they might be going towards that for the next Spider-Man movie, which I hope that's the case. But, you know, I, I like the idea of Spider-Man hanging out with Iron Man and Homecoming and the idea of him hanging out with Nick Fury in this movie. Um, but I don't know. I, I kind of rather... I think I like this version of Spider-Man more as a supporting character in the Russo Brothers movies, in Infinity War and in Civil War. Like, I think the, like maybe it's just this depiction of the character. Like, just the way it's like... You know, Spider-Man to me is like, I, I want him to be self-reliant and do everything he needs to do on his own. And in these movies, it feels like I'm going to call my billionaire friends for help uh, and they'll help me out and get, get me out of this jam and we'll move on to the next thing. And it's like, oh, that's less interesting to me than, uh, yeah. than that. I wonder how much of that is that he they've chosen to make him still high school Peter. Like he is still not, uh, he's not fully uh, formed as a hero. Like he's not Spider-Man 2 spider-man right like from he's the... a few more minutes in the oven yeah exactly he <laughs> exactly, needs to go back yeah. in the oven yeah he's not quite done yet uh, sure yeah in, in his hero-ness right and I, th- I think part of, and these movies are about him kind of growing up and becoming that uh for sure like uh, i think matt singer from screen crush actually just had a big article uh recently about uh, how spider-man like you know we thought marvel had skipped spider-man's origin but what if they're actually telling his origin over a longer period of time through these movies uh and i get that and i appreciate uh, if that's the case, what they're trying to do. But uh, I don't know. They're, it also feels like they're trying to position Peter as, like, the next Tony Stark. And he's had a similar a similar role in some of the comics. But, like, you know, it's just that's a less interesting version of the character to me. Um, yeah. You know, so that's that's just, like, a fundamentally just me problem, I think. Like, you know, people like these I movies just... and people like Tom Holland. And I like Tom Holland, too. I just I can't get behind it as much as I could, you know, the classic Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire movies. 
I do think that they're playing out his origin over a longer stretch because it I'm just I'm thinking about what you said about him either like Spider-Man wins or Peter Parker wins and I think that for that to fire on all cylinders there has to be a time in his life where they both are win like it's good as both because without that it's like why even choose between you know what I mean well because without that the, the reason why he does it is because with great power comes great responsibility which this movie completely skips basically uh, or the, the this version of the character has skipped uh, because which is fine is it though because I feel like <laughs> you know <laughs> that was such a Sam Raimi thing though I know I know the always has been like Uncle Ben's thing well yeah no it's well originally actually it wasn't even Uncle Ben that said it in the comics it was actually just a piece of narration that was in the T- uh, text right there but yeah in, in the in the Sam Raimi movie I it's, known it's that. <laughs> I feel bad I didn't know in that. the Sam Raimi movie it's Uncle Ben that says that and the, but you know it's not even just the with great power comes great responsibility thing that it's missing it's the fact that we skipped Uncle Ben dying uh, and it seems like but we've seen it like four times I get that no I get that but we're not acknowledging it is the problem it's one of those things where I feel like Spider-Man is a character that is the reason he is Spider-Man uh, and continues to do to be Spider-Man, even though it's the hardest thing in the world, and he's always losing, and that kind of thing. And everyone hates him. Is that you know he he uh, could have prevented Uncle Ben's death, right? That's the whole idea behind it. He could have prevented Uncle Ben's death, and he didn't. He chose not to, and that's when he takes to heed the lesson of with great power comes great responsibility. That's why he becomes Spider-Man, and the MCU skipped that because it's, you know with it's Tony with, Stark instead of Uncle Ben. And, yeah, that's what I think. Right, but Tony Stark's also a fundamentally different character than Uncle Ben. Oh, I agree. Um, I'm just... And so I feel like... Yeah, 100%. And I feel like the lessons that are imparted from Tony Stark, uh, Tony Stark's sacrifice as opposed to Uncle Ben dying because Peter... Like, you know, Peter, like Tony Stark dying is not something that Peter could have prevented. Right. Uh, whereas Uncle Ben's death is something that Peter could have prevented, at least in the traditional version of the Uncle Ben story that we know like we don't we don't know exactly what happened in this movie it seems like we know that uncle ben exists Uh, if you see the suitcase that peter has it has a bfp on it uh, which stands for ben foster parker uh so it's an old or is it big friendly Parker? (laughs) (laughs) Um, i'm just saying we don't know and there's like implications that something happened i think in homecoming he has a line where it's like i I can't do that to may after everything she's been through or that kind of thing something like that i can't my uncle this spider i gotta go (laughs) Uh, honestly i'm fine with them skipping the actual death of uncle ben but i feel like you know because we've seen it a couple times in movies by now uh but it just felt it just feels like because we skipped that we skipped the actual lesson that led to him being Spider-Man in the first place. Uh, and so we're kind of grasping at other straws and turning him into this other character, which is fine. Uh, it's a different interpretation of the Spider-Man character. It's just not an interpretation that I'm as on board with as other versions of the character. No, I respect. I get that. I feel like I, that's a good point. But yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, as a, as a supporting character in other movies, like he still feels much more like Spider-Man to me because we don't actually have to go more in depth with what Spider-Man is and what he means and all that kind of stuff. And so he can kind of just bounce around, be Spider-Man, do the Spidey stuff, you know, jump through Doctor Strange's portals and say, like, you know, uh, portal punch or whatever. and like <laughs> Magic kick. Magic kick. Yeah, it's great. But, yeah, as far as Homecoming and Far From Home, like, I like them. You know, they're, they're fun movies. I, like, I, I, all of this sounds like I'm coming down really hard in Far From Home. You know, I, but I had a good time with it. It's a, it's a pretty fun movie. Tom Holland's good. The cast is good. Mysterio's great. Like, Mysterio is great. 100% Mysterio is awesome in this movie. I That sequence with all the illusions like literally took my breath away we'll talk about it in the spoilers but yes that's an awesome sequence uh but yeah it it, just it's a very fun movie that i think it could be better and it's just not tapping into what it could be better for but it's a fun enough time i think it ends in a place where i'm really curious to see what they do next uh because it's hopefully going to force them to do something kind of different 
uh, with these movies. Uh, so, yeah, I am looking forward to that. I also think Tom Holland could handle, like, heavier stuff. Yeah, I think he could. And, and that's that's I feel like these movies are you see glimpses of that in this one yes uh, because he's kind of dealing with the death of Tony Stark and that kind of thing um, and yeah I, I think he absolutely could handle heavier stuff and I think they should be leaning into heavier stuff because Spider-Man is born out of guilt and tragedy uh, and and that kind of is what makes his comedic moments soar uh, that's what makes him like right. you know when he is joking around and being funny that's what makes him funny whereas in this movie I feel like it's just constantly on this level of like quippiness throughout the <laughs> throughout the whole time uh and that kind of like becomes white noise to me after a while i guess uh yeah got them disney quips got, the, got them disney quips yeah which you know that's uh, i i love what joss whedon did with his two avengers movies but i feel like they were a bad influence on, Mar- on the Marvel Cinematic universe going forward 100 percent, and the star wars universe by extension yes eh, no I, I feel the star episode eight was pretty quippy episode eight was not as quippy as people make it out to be i will tell you that much right now <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a couple the of getting was pretty quick. There's a couple of jokes in episode eight, but no more than like a usual Star Wars movie, and people like freaked out about how uh, how jokey that movie was. But uh, anyway, <laughs> we're getting off topic. I know. Sorry, uh, I did. Speaking of though of of jokes in this movie, there were a couple lines that really tickled me, like when that dude who's like trying to uh, bang MJ also. Is like, uh, oh, this guy's kicking that water's ass. <laughs> that, that made me laugh out loud in the good. theater. Yes, that was pretty good. And there's another line where he's like, somebody says something about Peter, and they're like, what, what are your powers? And he's like, I'm strong and sticky. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. There's funny stuff like that. Yeah, like all, the jokes pretty much land. It just feels like... Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm not... For sure. I just, those two in particular really, like, stuck with me yes. as things I really enjoyed. Right. Uh, all right, so any other, like... Uh, like before spoilers thoughts about Spider-Man or should we guys uh, should we move into spoilers guys spoiler stuff I think all the interesting stuff in this movie happens in the spoilers section fair enough alright let's move into spoilers for Spider-Man Far From Home starting right now alright spoilers for Spider-Man Far From Home starting right now so Vin you kind of alluded to this uh, before but the absolute 100% highlight of the movie for me without question is the sequence uh, in Berlin, where Peter is trapped inside endless Mysterio illusions, that you shit know, is awesome. You know what that was? When when Ray goes to the dark side in in uh, oh, in Last Jedi, Last when, Jedi, uh, she has like the multiple rays in uh, the mirror and all that stuff. Yes, yeah, same thing, Whoa. same exact scene, and it's amazing. And I loved it in this, and I was so pumped. But I was like, yes, it's that Ryan Johnson effect. Yeah, uh, yeah, I love that whole sequence. I thought it was awesome, uh, and I think if the movie had more stuff like that, everything I would have just said is null and void. Basically, like <laughs> if this movie had gotten way crazier with the Mysterio shit and like had it outside of that one sequence and that, that other sequence towards the end, like I would have loved it. Like this movie, they really went all it in goes on for that sequence. So long, though. yes, and it's like I'm so hyped that the technology, like film technology, is to the point where they can do stuff like that believably. Yeah. Right. It's not just yeah. a guy walking through, like, a cloud of fog, and we're like, well, a dream sequence now. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, no, it's like, hey, remember your dead mentor? He's back. He's crawling right. out of the ground at you. Zombie Zombo. Iron Man. That was great. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, that whole sequence was awesome. Just really cool. Um, and he gets hit by a train <laughs> yeah, at the end yes. of it. Yeah, no, that was great. And that's, like, just a great 
visualization of what Mysterio's powers could be like. You know, that first half of the movie, yeah. when it's just Mysterio kind of flying around being like, ooh, I'm Mysterio. You don't want any part of this. Yeah, and he's just kind of like shooting lasers or whatever. I was like, this seems like, you know, I'm enjoying it because Jake Gyllenhaal is Mysterio and they got the look of Mysterio right. Like, he looks great. Oh, he's swimming fishbowl. in the river of ham. Fishbowl. You know, fishbowl head and everything. But uh, then once that actual shit happens, like, in the, with the visual sequences, I was like, yes, this is the Mysterio that I want to see in a Spider-Man movie. You know what I uh, thought was kind of interesting just about this whole thing where he, you know, he, Mysterio is like using this hologram stuff to project everything and make it look like he's a superhero. Felt yeah. like some kind of weird like meta commentary, and I think specifically only because it's revealed that his suit is a projection onto one of the gray mocap with the the, the ping pong balls on it suits. <laughs> do you think that was real, or do you think that was a CGI mocap suit? <laughs> But I feel like, and I feel like that was just what he was wearing the whole. Like they just didn't visual affect him while he was mm. in those scenes. And I was like, yeah. "This is amazing!" And he's wearing like a fake fishbowl. <laughs> and I was like, "I think this is just what he was like on what he looks like on set." And I know it was this is one of the times I noticed it a lot with uh, uh, Spider-Man, particularly in this one. I guess like when he's in like the Iron Spider suit stuff. Um, yeah. In the Avengers movies, where I was like, oh, you could tell, and like, you know, for Iron Man and stuff, or Iron Man suit specifically, where it's like, oh, th- like, these are just guys in spandex wearing these things. Some of the other yes. ones, like, I think they're actually wearing suits, quote unquote, just like right. without the masks and stuff. Uh, but there was a few mm-hmm. times in this movie where I was like, mm, you could see that all that is just like CGI'd onto yes. Tom Holland. <laughs> uh, yes. I've never particularly liked the Iron Spider suit. Yeah. yeah, neither neither have I. And honestly, that kind of pulls into my point where it's like, yeah, I, I kind of want just Spider-Man doing it himself, doing his own thing. Uh, and yeah. so having him rely on, like, Tony Stark for suit technology, it's just like, oops, nah, don't need that. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> that scene where he was designing his own suit, though, was, like, pretty dang. That was nice. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was a well-done scene. I did like that. Because um, he, is, he is super smart. Yes. yes. And we kind of feel like we've gotten away from that. And they've really played up the fact that, like, he's a little boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, until until I actually really appreciated that like uh, like multiverse moment when Mysterio reveals quote unquote it was like I'm from this is Earth six one six which was a nice touch, uh, yes. which is the Earth of like the main comic uh, right universe. Yes. Um, but anyway, I almost got into an argument with one of my friends earlier because he was like it couldn't be six one six if that was the real because the movie universe exists in the comic universe so it couldn't be they 616 do. that's how i knew he was lying i was like <laughs> shut up nerd what <laughs> i hate it I, I stole his you lunch money. Into a locker. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and that but that moment where uh peter and then peter is like well if that's true that that means all this stuff and he like spins off in this whole physics thing and i was like oh yeah that's right parker's supposed to be like a genius that's amazing i'm yeah. glad that was there <laughs> Yeah, definitely, and that whole and that whole thing, like everything about Peter's relationship with Tony in this film was nice, yes. uh, especially because you know Tony's death resonated so hard in Endgame, and like they, you have that scene in Endgame where Peter, like Peter's the first one, who, like comes up to him as he's dying in that movie, uh, and I don't really want Peter Parker oh, to be the next Tony Stark, like this movie seems to imply that they want to make him, but. I, I can't deny those emotional beats work in this movie, especially when Peter's making that new suit on Stark's plane, and yeah. Happy turns on the ACDC, uh, turns on Back in Black, and I was like, oh shit, like, yes, yeah, just like the first I love Led Zeppelin. Yeah. <laughs> another great, another great line. Fun. Yeah, it was uh, pretty good. But, yeah, 
I thought this movie, the the very opening, which I guess isn't really a spoiler, but uh, like the in memoriam thing was pretty funny, and I thought it was oh, yes. gonna be oh, a, you know, and they that was amazing. The, other, the characters that died, as if we forgot from four months ago. Um, <laughs> but I thought that, but like with the watermarks, because yeah. originally I was like, what is what is this movie doing? <laughs> I thought it was gonna be another. Peter Parker home video because remember Homecoming opens with that where it's Civil War yes. filmed on his phone. Yeah, uh, I thought it was yeah. going to be another one of those, uh, but then for it to be the morning announcements thing was like, oh, okay, that's pretty funny. I'm yes, glad we used good. that. And then just the footage of the kids getting blipped away <laughs> and then coming back. Yeah. That was an effect. Yes. That was a, in the middle of a basketball game. Yeah. That was the that's pretty a, a pretty a pretty funny. A way to just exposition dump. We're like, we need to explain yeah. this, so we're gonna have someone explain it to the students. Uh, right, it was fun. Yeah, I was in on that pivot scene. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, yeah, that was pretty good. And honestly, like the stuff to do with with you know having to be the movie after Endgame, uh, it's pretty funny. You know, again, but I, I really wish they could have like dug into some of that stuff with the snap and the blip and like you know, did one kid's parent get remarried when the other partner got snapped or something or like yeah, Martin <laughs> Starr talks about that for a second. It sounds like right. you want to watch an Ari Aster movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, did one kid's maybe one kid's parents had another kid while their kid was snapped in the hopes that like you know like never thinking they were going to get their kid back and now the kid is a oh and they named the kid the same name yeah <gasps> wouldn't that be crazy like there's so much stuff you could do with this concept and this movie kind of just be like oh yeah everyone that peter knows was snapped and now they're back um except for that one kid uh, yeah, doesn't the <laughs> which was hilarious honestly uh yeah that was great <laughs> the kid who's now they're, they're older than them or whatever uh yeah. or their age is super hot but the one kid uh, i did like that other morning announcement kid that's like yeah my younger brother's older than me now it was like that would radically change your fucking world like, right <laughs> But like, it's just played up as like a, a laugh, like a like a bit of a goof, and it's yeah. like there's there's so much you can dig into there, you know. And I just feel like the movie doesn't do that because it's just trying to be like a fun little Spidey adventure. Uh, and you know, it it's a, it does a good job of being that fun little Spidey adventure. But I feel like the movie I really wanted was the movie that really dug deep. <laughs> you really did want the Ari Aster version. I really wanted the Ari Aster version of this movie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I got the next day with Midsummer, yeah. um, but <laughs> but uh, anyway, I mentioned the highlight of the movie was the Mysterio illusion sequence. The other highlight for me was the big reveal scene for Mysterio in the bar. That to me was awesome. Oh, that, yeah. That, that's I, you know when that when they were in the bar and they were talking, I started to notice like, hey, there's a lot of people in this bar, and no one's like paying attention to the fact that there's like two dudes in full costume just like chilling. Yeah. At the bar, at the bar, like nobody's staring at Mysterio or anything like that, and I thought that was like a little bit odd. Uh, and then when like Peter leaves and he gives Mysterio the glasses and everything starts fading away like one by one, and you know I I, I like started grinning. And I realized what was happening. I was like, yes, here we go. Like this is this is the Mysterio I want to see. Like and the movie's I think really clever about placing itself in within the MCU here. Um, like this version of Mysterio is a disgruntled Stark employee who uh, was the guy who invented the hologram tech and tech that you see in Civil War. They play that clip of Stark doing like the- maybe my favorite shot in the movie <laughs> is when it's the scene from Civil War and they just put Jake Gyllenhaal in it. They just look all ang- look at all angry in the and background. Is that like that tableau of black and white yeah. of him being like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, one of the one of his partners, like they're all like ex Stark employees and one of them is a guy is the guy that Obadiah Stan is yelling at in the first Iron Man. Yeah. The uh, Tony Stark built this in a cave guy. Uh who by the way is uh, Peter Billingsley, uh aka the kid from a Christmas story. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> Fudging way. <laughs> that is 100% true. It is Peter Billingsley. That was him in Iron Man and that was him in this movie. Wow. Uh Oh my goodness great and an elf another john favreau vehicle yes that's probably which yeah. is, explains how he got into iron man in the first there place there you go yeah <laughs> it's all making sense now 
It all coming together. My God. Some sort of JFECU. The John Favreau. IRL. <laughs> the John Favreau Extended Cinematic Universe in real life? Is that... Okay, yes. Got it. Yes, it got is. It. That's just, what I'm going Just for. making sure. Uh, but yeah, so that was a really cool connection to uh, to the original Iron Man and uh, does that. Uh, what did you guys think of the action sequence in this movie? Because um, none of them really stood out to me except for the final one, the, fi- the final confrontation with Mysterio. I thought the, the fire elemental battle thing was fun only because... The, uh, we get Spider-Man trying to save Ned and Betty on the the Ferris wheel. Like I didn't particularly. Oh, the whole night monkey yeah, thing. Yeah, like that, that whole shtick. Low key okay, kind of funny. Yeah, I always think it's weird when the villain is like a big elemental like type monster. It's t- let me rephrase this. It's tough when the villain is a bunch of water <laughs> to fight it. True. And make it look cooler. Like there's nothing you can really sling at it. No. I agree. I agree. The fire sequence was cool because they were at least like throwing stuff I'm at it ask, and working together. How many other movies have you seen that have a giant villain made of water? Uh, that Hercules. Um, okay. Is there a, is there a water demon in Hercules? I don't think there is. Isn't he one of the Titans? There's an ice Titan in Hercules. Oh, there is. Maybe I'm thinking of that. <laughs> I just. I. It's not even. I. I misspoke. I guess. It's. <laughs> it's whenever. It's like a sort of a big generic monster. Okay. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I sort of am not that interested. Sure. Which is why I loved the reveal when they finally got to the Mysterio stuff. Right, and it was all like holograms and like things that he was actually like they weren't actually there that kind of thing. Yeah, because it's just like when you get to those big generic monsters, they're like they're not particularly interesting anymore. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. And honestly, like that's what I'm kind of saying with these action sequences. Like they all kind of just felt like blobs of CG to me. Um, which I yeah, guess which literally is, in the movie. Yeah, which, <laughs> yeah, that's which the, literally that's in the, the whole movie point, is, Mike. Yeah, which, yeah, I guess that makes sense. The movie kind of uh, acts as a meta commentary on that in a weird yeah. way. Uh, Just like in the first half of the movie, how you're like, wow, Jake Gyllenhaal's really kind of flown in this one. Here. <laughs> but yeah, he's, but he's great, obviously. And that final, that, I do like that final sequence where Peter confronting Mysterio and like, oh, you know, yeah. using his spider sense to get through all the illusions. And then that moment where Peter grabbed his what? <laughs> oh, sorry, Peter, Peter Tingle. I guess is uh, right, right, right. Okay, um, and then he, he, you know, he grabs the gun from Mysterio and all that kind of stuff. It, that, that was really cool. That scene um, was that amazing. Fudged with me hard. Did it? <laughs> oh my god! Because like I, I bit. I was like, oh cool, he's finally like out of everything. And then just he like reached up in the gunshot, and I was like, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so that was a great moment. Uh, I think the moment where Peter is stranded in the Netherlands and just calls Happy to give him a ride—that <laughs> is what bugged me the most in this movie. <laughs> That was strange. Because uh, that was a moment where like, he's stranded in the Netherlands. He's like, he's got no phone. He's got no money. Like, how is Spider-Man going to get out of there to save his friends in time? Okay, he gets a cell phone and calls Happy, and that's it. All right, that's... Deus ex Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and then it leads into the stuff where they have a heart-to-heart about Tony, and it's him building the suit, and that's nice. Uh, but it's a moment that I really wish Peter could have, like, figured out his way out of there on his own kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I guess there's... Yeah, I think it's once he gets on the plane with Happy through the end is when that movie, to me, is really firing on all cylinders. That's fair. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I get what you're saying there. But yeah, also... Okay, so let's talk about the post credit scenes for a second. Sure. Because I feel like when I... You know, in the reviews leading up to this movie, I feel like everybody was talking about the post credit scenes the most. Like, I didn't see what happened in them. But everybody was like, oh, man, the post credit scenes are amazing. Which, to me, is always like... Not a great sign when the best thing you can say about a movie is like, it had a great post credit scene. The last um, 20 seconds were real cool. 
Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but there are two post-credit scenes, and they are both very cool. Um, so we'll kind of run them down first. The first post-credit scene: Spidey uh, swinging with MJ in New York, which uh, you know, super fun, super generic, super fun. Honestly, like I, I, one of the things I miss most in these MCU Spider-Man movies, there's no Manhattan web swinging. There's none of it yeah. in these movies. Yeah, uh, and they finally did a little bit of that at the end of this. So I was happy to see that. Hopefully, there's a lot more of that in Spider-Man Three because I... there's just there's just something about Spider-Man swinging through New York that makes me happy, and I want to see that in movies. <laughs> I thought that was actually it, that. Yes, I agree with you. Uh, first off, two. Uh, I thought that was a really funny like reference to the the Raimi things because it's it's yeah. To me, that was like a wink and nod. Well, yeah. So I didn't realize that till right now, like what that does. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was a fun reference where like they swing and and MJ is like, let's never do that again. That was terrifying. <laughs> Fuck this because they did it all the time. Hey, the I uh, hated yeah, that. Which I thought was fun. Which uh, I realize now telegraphs what the the end of that first uh, end credit scene is. Yes, so like. we'll lead, yeah, lead into that. J.K. Simmons uh, is appearing here as J. Jonah Jameson, uh, and it's awesome, of course, reprising his role from... The best casting decision since the first time they cast him as J.K. Simmons. <laughs> as J. J. Jonah as Jameson. J. No, he's, he is J. Jonah Jameson, and he's just playing J.K. Simmons in real life, obviously. Yeah, I no, thought he, yeah. that was very fun. Um, I am disappointed it wasn't Darren DePaul who does the voice of Jake. Uh, I almost said J.K. Simmons, <laughs> the voice of <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson in the video game, because they just do the same thing from the video game where he hosts uh, this right. like podcast, a conspiracy podcast, quote unquote, uh, which yes. is clearly supposed to be Infowars and Alex Jones. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty much exact. It's pretty much exactly the same as it is in the video game. But I mean, well, you get a J.K. Simmons cameo, it's going to make well, more fans excited. Yeah, that's going to make more people excited, a.k.a. me, than the voice actor from the video game. And I speak for all Spidey fans across the globe, yes. You're not uh, right. so, so, yeah, that was awesome to see him uh, and a cool like, acknowledgement of like how great the, Spider- the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies are uh, and how great that casting choice was back then. So they're like, well, why mess with it? Like, just, just put him in this. Honestly, when, when they cast J.B. Smoove in this movie, I expected him to play J. Jonah Jameson. Uh, I expected, Whoa, really? I expected that to be like their new take on J.J.J., uh, and I was and I was kind of down for that, but you know now that we got J.K. Simmons back, like I'm I'm cool with it, like that works. I'm not sure if he'll continue to make appearances in these movies, or else it's just like a one scene cameo deal. But uh, you know, either way, it was cool to see him again. I feel like what he reveals, he has to come back. Uh, where he reveal, he shows the clip of that Mysterio filmed, which I thought was nice. Uh, where in Mysterio's dying words was like, "People will believe anything these days," or whatever. Right. Uh, and he edits the clip or whatever to be him revealing that Peter Parker is Spider-Man and it gets broadcast on the side of Madison Square Garden. I don't know. That was weird. Right. <laughs> like, why not do it in Times Square? Well, presumably on, on television in general. Yeah, like, yeah. Why not do it in Times Square where every other movie puts their big famous uh, <laughs> news broadcast? Good. good point. Uh, I just loved that so much because, one, it's an in, it's an inversion of Tony revealing that he was Iron Man. Right. Whoa. Yes. I didn't even think of that because I'm dumb. Yes. <laughs> so like uh, the first, I, I love that. Yeah. It, it is where Tony made the conscientious choice to do it. Yeah. it. Peter got exposed. Two, there were so many scenes in this movie that it, like, alluded to the fact that he was going to get ousted or he was going to oust himself. Yeah, you think so? Uh, specifically right before that where he goes to meet MJ, he's got that scene where you're, it looks almost like he's addressing a large group of yeah. people. Yes, you're right. Being like, we got to talk about the truth. Oh, and yeah. then he's just looking at Happy being like, yo, are you boning my aunt? <laughs> <laughs> Right. Uh, 
Plus, he's he's going around playing fast and loose, taking his mask off everywhere at every opportunity <laughs> he can in this movie. That's also a good point. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So J.K. J.K. Simmons, J.J. J. Jonah Jameson reveals this uh, Doctor Video Spider-Man killing Mysterio and right. reveals Peter's secret identity along with it. Uh, which, uh, you know, sets up a really interesting Spider-Man 3, I think. It sets up the idea that, like, everybody knows who Spider-Man is now, so either Peter has to somehow prove that he's not Spider-Man, or he has to clear his name somehow. Uh, but I, I like the idea of, like, we're getting back to, like, all right, New York hates Spidey now. Yeah. Uh, he's on the run, and J. Jonah Jameson's around, and all that stuff. Also, do we think Mysterio is actually dead, guys? Just throwing that out there? I it, do, because he asked... Uh, the, the Edith, the AI... Right, yeah, that's true. But Edith was on Mysterio's face for most of the movie, or for most of that back half of the movie. <laughs> yes, she was. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I did was... notice that, too, actually. Uh, that That is a, a glaring omission, because the first time Peter gives Mysterio the glasses, Edith is like, any transfer requires confirmation, and that doesn't happen when Peter takes them back. He just takes them. Oh, I just assumed she, it was, like, backlogged. I mean, I thought that, but, it, like, only because it was such a, a moment in that first one, that first time it happens. Sure. She's like, oh, you, you sure? You got to confirm it. And they do. And then this, when he takes it back, he just takes it off his face, and it just works normally. And he puts them on, he's like, kill everyone. Fuck New York. I hate everybody. <laughs> Burn it down. Which was just a poor choice of words yeah, on his that's part. Uh, but yeah, so I, I honestly, like, I, I can see Mysterio still being dead, but he is Mysterio, so it's one of those things where it's like, he could come back, like, he's, if they decided to, like, lay low for a movie and then have him come back in Spider-Man 4 or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, he ultimately won, which is cool. Yes, I yeah. do like that, too. And he has a line earlier in the movie where he's like, you know, sometimes you lose the battle. And, That's it. you know, just... but dot, dot, dot. I don't remember <laughs> the rest of it. It's like, you know, like, the, sometimes you lose the battle, but you win the war. And it's funny that that's, like, he says that, and then it comes back, and he does that, yes. basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was definitely uh, cool to see. So, yeah, that first post credit scene, pretty nuts. It kind of sets up a really interesting Spider-Man 3. Second post credit scene, I wanted to get your take on this, guys, because the entire movie, I was thinking to myself, like, there's something really off about Nick Fury. <laughs> and and I was like, something, something just feels weird about this. And I think it was the fact that, like, he was just trusting Mysterio like implicitly and like without any reservations and like Nick Fury is decidedly not that guy um, yeah. and so throughout the movie I was like this seems like a really weird choice for Nick Fury to do and they kind of make a joke about it towards the end where it's like oh I have my suspicions all along and Maria Hill's like no he didn't and I was like ha 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 but at the, at the same time I was like yeah this seems weird and then the second post credit scene like just kind of like explains that and it's like oh so Nick Fury and Maria Hill were scrolls the whole time <laughs> turns out it's just Ben Mendelsohn in blackface the whole time <laughs> That is uh, one way to look at it. Not tasteful. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I honestly, uh, uh, I noticed that too. I noticed it more with Maria Hill for some reason, like, because she's barely really? in the movie. And I was like, but she's, like, not doing anything. And I remember Colby Smulders being a lot, like, more lively when she was in the other movies. And this, she's kind of yeah. just, like, there. Uh, so I don't know. But I thought that it is interesting that they do sort of, like, telegraph it a little bit. Because especially, too, uh, when Peter is listing, like, oh, like, Thor, Doctor Strange, or Captain Marvel, and Nick Fury has a reaction to Captain Marvel. He's like, don't invoke her name. I was like, what the f- Why would he say that? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, right. because he's Talos. From- <laughs> from- right. Also, um... He is that scene with Happy where Happy's like basically looks down lens or he's like looks can be deceiving. <laughs> and Nick Fury's like, oh, you might as well look down lens and wink. Yeah. <laughs> wink at the camera. Yes. There's also, I mean, there's like some, I think John Watts pointed this out um, online or something, but he said something like when he's first introducing Peter to Mysterio, he says something along the lines of like, um, you know, he's, 
he's from a world, just not yours. And he like emphasizes like not your world that he's from, as if right. say like Nick Fury is not also from Peter's world. Uh, and that kind of thing. Oh, as opposed to not our world? Yeah, as opposed to not our world. Like, he says your world specifically. Interesting. Uh, so there's like, there's, like, hints and stuff like that throughout the movie that Nick Fury is a scroll. Uh, but, yeah, I thought that was a cool reveal. I like seeing Talos again. I like the confirmation that he's still alive 25 years later. Uh, and oh, yeah. The real, yeah, <laughs> big time jump. I literally crapped my pants almost when, I like, they transformed. Did you really? <laughs> because, like, I don't know if you remember our Avengers Endgame podcast. I, since Captain Marvel had suspected Nick Fury was going to be revealed to be a Skrull at some point. <laughs> wow. Uh, and I've been fairly outspoken about this. Yes. I don't know if I said it on the podcast. I'm sure I did. But up until the moment when he called real Nick Fury, I was like, no way. <laughs> you know what the biggest reveal about that post credit scene is? You can just, like, FaceTime across space. <laughs> <clears throat> well, yeah. The S.H.I.E.L.D. can FaceTime across okay, space. Okay, fair, yeah. Or, sure. or whatever organization yeah, they're you with. you can't. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can't. Uh, but, yeah, then you find out the real Nick Fury has been uh, chilling on a scroll warship for a while. And he's just... Just staring at a LCD screen, <laughs> presumably. Uh, but, yeah, so I, I like that. And it seems like a cool, like, you know, nod to, like, oh, hey, maybe Nick Fury will still be in the next Captain Marvel movie when that uh, comes around. Right. Uh, so that was pretty cool. But, yeah, so uh, I, I enjoy both post credit scenes a lot. And they, they have, like, some good indications of where this series could be going uh, in the near future. And who knows, like, if Nick Fury could still be popping up as, like, Talos in other movies uh also so that that could also they had that line about um Kree sleeper agents in that scene right. so like maybe they're gonna try to do a secret wars but from the other side like they're gonna flip it and have the Kree be the invading ones yeah, possibly yeah we'll uh see how that goes sorry i'll stop being nerdy for yeah. a second <laughs> how dare you be we're... nerdy on this podcast um real quick i don't know if we're moving on from this movie or not it's two quick sure. points i loved the awkward kissing yes uh between <laughs> is this stranger things again or <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. You're just a big fan of awkward kissing in general, is what you're saying. Because uh, that's how I kiss everybody. <laughs> um, and two, I suspect in the next movie, I don't think it's going to be that hard for Peter to overcome the the fake footage that makes him look like the bad guy. Okay. I think the real thing is that now people know who he is. Yeah. And I was talking to my buddy earlier. I don't want to take credit, but he was like, he suspects that they're going to do a Craven the Hunter movie. Now that, like, Peter's identity is out. Oh, yeah. And they've said they're going to do a Spider-Man movie that's never been seen on film before. And Cra- Craven the Hunter, like, it was Craven and Mysterio were, like, my two big Spidey villains that I want movies for. I think... Uh, yeah, and Craven's Last Hunt is just one of the best fucking great, yeah. Spider-Man comics I ever. the director or somebody said that they, like, somebody asked him, was like, who would be your dream villain? And he said Craven, so that, like, that would be... Seems to, all yeah, and Tom Holland said he wants Jason Momoa. Jason Momoa as Craven. That would be a wild. I think he might be tied up with Aquaman movies uh, for the. I think that's a terrible casting choice, personally. Yeah. But maybe Tom knows. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and you got to remember the uh, the end of Homecoming leaves Vulture alive, and he's like in prison. Yeah. And he knows who Spider Man is. Oh, what a bummer to get snapped and then get snapped back into prison. <laughs> or he gets snapped back not in prison. Who knows? Maybe. Uh, Oh my god, what if somebody got snapped back like into their house and their wife was getting like railed by someone? Can we talk about that, I think? <laughs> See, these are the questions I want these movies to explore. <laughs> we should make our own movie with blackjack and hookers. In fact, forget the blackjack. <laughs> they say, actually, Aunt May says that when she came back, the people were in her apartment and the grandma thought she was a ghost and stuff. Oh, yes, yeah. Like, so that yeah, for sure happened. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that definitely happened at some point. 
uh, to somebody. The people that were on planes. Yeah, whoa. Yeah. Oh, my God. Don't want to think about that. <laughs> that has some serious or do you think they just rematerialized in the plane? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. There's a lot. That's what I'm saying. These movies don't – this movie didn't explore the snap as much as I wanted it to. When, <laughs> when, now, when Mjolnir is in the elevator, the elevator isn't worthy. So. <laughs> right. So right. Yeah. Okay. okay. goes up. Yeah. Um, that clears it up. But, yeah. But anyway <laughs> – but anyway, yeah, I, I think Tom Holland and Daya, they're good together. Uh, I'm glad that she got a bigger role in this movie, too, yes. than she did in the last one. Um, she's amazing. She's really funny in these movies. Uh, uh, but, but you know, they, they do not compare to Ned and Betty, who are the best in this movie. Correct. The like, you know, everything about them was great. Again, Angry Rice, like, somebody gave her, like, a real starring role. God, in the movie please. Show, because, like, she's so good. She was so funny in the next And, guy. honestly, Happy Hogan, I love John Favreau in this one. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, I like John Favreau, too. Also, the kid who plays Flash Thompson is mad funny. Tony Revolori. Uh, there was a weird, like, uh, there's, I feel like there's a weird thread this movie has going on with Flash's family. He's, um, he's got a dark oh, yeah, like, that lit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, like, there's this recurring bit where he's, like, you know, talk, like his parents are not never around. And he's at, he, at the end of the movie, he's just at the airport and his parents aren't there. And he's like, oh, are we going back to the home Jeeves or whatever? And like, Was, all, like, was mother not available? He's like, oh, oh, mom couldn't be here to get yeah, me. Yeah, something like that. But they never, like, do anything with that. It's just kind of this, like, like low-level thing that's happening throughout the movie. I'm like, this is really sad. I think it's because every other thing that kid says makes him out to be the biggest prick in the world. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but yeah, other quick highlights of the movie. Um, I do like when Peter first gets Edith, Edith the glasses, and he has that whole sequence where he accidentally calls a drone on oh. the uh, on the on the school bus. Yeah. Uh, that action sequence was amazing. That was pretty fun, and I also really liked um, Edith's acronym being uh, "Even Dead, I'm the Hero" from uh, from Tony Stark, <laughs> yeah. which was a perfectly Tony Stark thing to do. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Um, any other last bits before we move on from Spider Man, guys? No, I think I think we everything Ned does is pretty incredible or no oh yeah when he's like peter keep him away from the opera house and <laughs> peter just takes a, a real healthy pause and he's like yeah <laughs> i know <laughs> yeah their, yes, their relationship is great uh yes and ned everything he did in homecoming was great he's great in this too so yeah even in even his one scene in infinity war is like oh, the one on the bus holy shit we're all gonna die there's <laughs> <laughs> one line in that movie and it's amazing yes. yeah that's pretty good uh yeah so spider-man far from home are you guys so mike you're saying like this was kind of the one where you're like i feel like I, I could be done with the mcu yeah um and i feel like you say that now but we're not getting another mcu movie for almost another year um yeah i mean so that's true by the time we get to that which will probably be the black widow prequel uh, could you conceivably see yourself being like, all right, like I'm back on board now. Honestly, I'm, I'm really like relieved that we don't have another one for the year. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that'll help. And, and like I, I said, I don't know if I quite articulate, articulate, that's funny, a funny word to misspeak, forget. Mispronounce, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I, it, those feelings have nothing to do specifically with Spider-Man. Like I, I enjoyed Spider-Man. I thought this movie was good. I just uh, yeah. overall am kind of like down on this mcu stuff uh so i mean maybe yeah maybe take getting a year break to to get build some more excitement um like after i saw the dead don't die uh i said i think like the person i was with i was like man i I think this is my favorite movie of the year and he was like hold on endgame came out this year and i was like holy (laughs) shit that's right (laughs) and i think that like we're just living in in this like time is fast now uh world right. and just you know getting a year off basically is what i'm saying might refresh uh you know rejuvenate my interest so yeah 
I feel you. I feel you. Uh, all right, Vin, any final thoughts on Spider-Man, or should we move on? Let's move on. Right. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was trying to think of something funny to say, um, but really, I just have to... I'm going to take a pee break. We can cut this out, leave it in, whatever. I gotta, <laughs> I'll be right back. You guys can start. I'll be right back. All right. Uh, well, while Vin takes a pee break, that gives us enough time to play the trailer for Midsummer, starting right now. I was so very sorry to hear about what happened. I'm sorry. I invited Danny to come to Sweden. You know what she's been going through? Christian says you've got this special week planned. It's sort of a crazy festival. Special ceremonies and dressing up. That sounds fun. Unbelievable. Welcome and happy midsummer. School! What time is it? 9 p.m. That can't be right. The sky is blue. This is what 9 p.m. is like here. <laughs> How long have you two been together? Just over three and a half years. Four years. Really? Yeah. What do you think? It's like another world. Tomorrow's a big day. Is it scary? What is it? It has special properties. What am I going through? We just need to acclimate. I don't want to acclimate. I want to go. Absolutely not. What's happening? All right, that was from the trailer for Midsummer, the new movie uh, written and directed by Ari Aster. It stars Florence Pugh, Jack Rayner, William Jackson Harper, Will Poulter, and Wilhelm Blomgren, among others. And the IMDb plot synopsis for Midsummer reads, A couple travels to Sweden to visit a rural hometown's fabled Midsummer Festival. What begins as an idyllic retreat quickly devolves into an increasingly violent and bizarre competition at the hands of a pagan cult. Uh, now, all three of us were huge fans of Ari Aster's previous film, which just came out last year, Hereditary. Uh, Mike and I both named it our number one movie of 2018. Uh, it definitely took me by surprise when I found out that Aster was already prepping his follow-up, and it would be out almost exactly a year later. So I was pretty hyped about Midsummer. And uh, now, Vin, I wanted you on the podcast because we actually had you on our Hereditary review uh, last year when we did that movie. God That's, damn it. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. That is the movie. The little clicking sound. Mike, what's that in the corner Shut of your, your room? Goddamn mouth. <laughs> Look, I don't. Know, I think I've talked about it before on the show, but I still to this day, like over a year later, think about Hereditary like almost every day. Like that's yes. how much that movie affected. I me. watched it a second wow. time. It was noon. <laughs> it was broad daylight. The windows were open. I was not home alone, and that movie still scared the <laughs> shit out of me. <laughs> And I knew what was You've coming. Seen it before. Yeah, yeah. I actually, we, I think me and Mike both own Hereditary on Blu-ray, and neither of us have gone back to watch it yet because it was one of those things it, that shook us in the theater so bad. We were like, I don't know if I can do this right now. Mine's still in the plastic. <laughs> like, I don't even want to open it. <laughs> you don't want to release yeah. whatever's in there. Uh, but yeah, so Hereditary was awesome. Kind of blew us all away. And Vin, we had you on the podcast last year to talk about that movie, and we also had you on to talk about Avengers Endgame. So actually, it's a weird coincidence that you were able to talk about Spider-Man and Midsummer in this episode. No, no, we planned um, it that way. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I, I always just, I assumed you had. <laughs> Did you not, uh, Mike? We definitely planned it for Midsummer, and then we decided to double review, and it's like, hey, Spider-Man, that's Endgame. There's still a connection there. It works. Give it on, give it on the horn. Yeah, you guys have me on for uh, Marvel movies and indie darlings. Yeah, those are the two. There are, increasingly, those are the only two movies that exist. Um, <laughs> Which more... <laughs> yeah. Honestly... 
not wrong, right? No. Uh, and Netflix originals, I guess. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, what, struck, yeah. what struck me most about Midsummer watching it is uh, how different this movie is from Hereditary. Yes. Uh, while at the same time covering very similar ter- territory to Hereditary. Uh, you know, both movies revel in that unsettling slow burn. Both movies are largely about grief and trauma and trying to live your life after this world-shattering event just crushes you emotionally, much like Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, <laughs> But this movie approaches it in a completely different way than Hereditary does. Uh, so, Vin, what's your take on Midsummer? Uh, I th- loved the cold open. I think yeah. that the way th- I think it's the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen, cinem- like cinematography wise. Yeah. I know that's that's also your take. I didn't mean to step that's on that fine. one. <laughs> I don't really know how to feel about it. I was like, I saw it at like twelve thirty, like like noon. I saw it, which was weird to kind of go into a theater alone. I was never particularly scared. Yes. But I was definitely unsettled the whole time. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what I had written down here, actually. that uh, It wasn't scared, but unsettled is the word I would use. Um, and it's, I thought it was interesting that the, the whole first opening scene was all in darkness, pretty much. Right. And the rest of the movie is daytime. The, the, the opening scene, like that first like, 10, 15 minutes, it feels much more like hereditary than anything else in the movie. It's also better yeah, than a lot of Yeah, that one really got movies. me. <laughs> like that, that fifteen, yeah, yes. that fifteen-minute like <laughs> short film effect that you could yes. call it uh, is incredible. Uh, yes, yeah, that was that was really awesome, and I love you know I, I am a sucker for uh, you know I, I guess maybe you should say for spoilers uh, for that kind of stuff, but uh, I'm a sucker for delayed title sequences in movies. Yeah, um, and, and so, oh, I was shook by that. Yeah. yeah, so when this movie does that, like fifteen minutes in, it finally says eight two four presents, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> wait a um, second! But then like the Marvel credits played, it was crazy. <laughs> for some reason, Columbia Pictures was first for so long. I don't know. <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, Mike, what was your uh, overall take on Midsummer? Yeah, I mean, I, I seems like we all agree, kind of. Uh, this is an incredible movie, and I don't know if it, it 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 it's not scary per se on one level, right? Like it is not uh, jump scare. There's no jump scares really, or anything like that. There's nothing to that effect. But it is still really disturbing and unsettling the whole time. Like I, there's nothing that made me scared, right? For the whole like it's one of those things. I think I sort of talked about it, uh, this is a, a weird connection to make, but like Dunkirk, where Dunkirk has that like ticking clock in the score, where you don't okay. really realize mm-hmm. you haven't been breathing for 20 seconds, and you're like, oh shit, that's right, like, you're, you're like white-knuckling the, the armrests, uh, and, and Midsummer has that kind of thing. It doesn't have like a ticking clock, but there's a lot of times where you're just like, this shot is going on for a really long time, or like this situation, this scene is going on yeah. for a really long time. And I know, you know, but according to the previous hour of this movie, some bad shit's going to happen. Uh, and you're just, like, waiting <laughs> for it and that sense of dread and and uh, kind of suspense. And, like, you're, you're we're ahead of the characters, I feel like, a lot in this. Um, not that necessarily we have more information than them. Because a lot of shit happens off screen, I think, in this movie. Not, maybe not events, per se, but, like, you know. We're, a lot of information is left out, but you, as the sure. audience members, we can piece it together. And it seems like at a faster rate than the characters because they just like walk right into the shit. <laughs> and you're <Yeah>. like, no, <laughs> no, like, no, God, please. Uh, yes. And I loved this movie. I don't know if it, it quite meets Hereditary, and that might just be like a once in a lifetime thing for me. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> a lot like season one of Stranger Things, apparently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the two most important things in Mike's <laughs> life are Hereditary and the first season of Stranger Things. <laughs> yes. But by your logic, Logic, whatever Ari Aster does next should be almost as yeah, good as Hereditary. Exactly. <laughs> and I, this is better than <laughs> season two. What, 
What if Ari Aster does season four of Stranger Things? Whoa. What if Ari Aster is the Duffer Buddies? <laughs> He's both of them in like a trench coat. <laughs> Not only is he an incredible director, he's also a master of disguise. Uh, (laughs) I was about to say he's currently enough for the Turtle Club, but I don't know if anyone would get that. We get it. Yo, sick master of disguise. Yeah, we get the reference, man. Thanks, guys. Uh, The only thing anyone remembers from that movie. Uh, Yeah. But anyway, Midsummer's great. And, and uh, Ari Aster directs the shit out of this movie. Uh, I looked up the, the cinematographer's name is Powell Pogorzelski. I'm not really sure if I pronounce that. Probably wrong. Good. So same guy. Good same guy from Hereditary. Um, this movie is gorgeous. Absolutely beautiful. And there's so much uh, blocking, I guess, or staging or whatever you want to call it, where, like, there's scenes. There are, there are like, scenes going on in this movie where there's guys, like, half a mile away doing shit that is like matters i think uh and it's yeah. like it makes the movie, it makes the movie that much more tense because you you only notice it at the last second you're like wait is that guy and then the scene ends and you're like i can't i'm not sure what that guy was doing but holy shit <laughs> and there's so much of that going on these frames are so deep there's so much going on in these in in every shot of this movie and i fucking loved it yes uh i yeah i am pretty much with you there i will say upon first viewing i've only seen the movie once uh, the movie didn't grab me the way Hereditary did, but it also feels like I've been thinking about the movie pretty much every day since I saw it, which was a few days ago at this point. Yeah, uh, just I agree with everything that was said over the past 30 seconds. <laughs> right. I'm glad. Uh, cool. Glad we're all on the same page here. Yeah, the imagery and the ideas, I feel like they're going to stay with me uh, to the point where like, I feel like I'm going to watch this movie again in like two years and go like, all right, this is a masterpiece. Like It's one yeah. of those things where it's like it might t- just take time to like ruminate in my head. Uh, for that kind of thing, whereas Hereditary was more immediately like, holy shit, this movie's amazing. Uh, so, yeah, I think Midsummer probably the most beautiful-looking movie I've seen in 2019 so far. Um, and, you know, it, it's crazy. Hereditary uses darkness so effectively. It's, what, like, that's kind of one of the main things about Hereditary. Like, everyth- like everything's in the shadows. There's that one sequence um, uh, where you meant, uh, Vin, you alluded to before, where you see Tony Collette in the corner. Um, that is just such a perfect use of darkness and, like, just the sh- subtle shifting of light in that sequence. It's amazing. Uh, and so Hereditary used darkness really effectively. And it's like Aster wanted to challenge himself to do the exact opposite with this movie yeah. and uh, utilize light instead. And, you know, this movie takes place in broad daylight the entire time after that opening sequence. Uh, and I remember comparing Hereditary to Rosemary's Baby when we, uh, when we reviewed it back mm-hmm. then. Uh, and, you know, Mike, you mentioned The Wicker Man before. I would say that movie is like the most direct influence on Midsummer, oh, yeah. uh, for sure. Uh, just it feels like almost like a stealth remake of it. Actually, um, Phil Noble Jr., who was the uh, um, editor in chief of Fangoria magazine, wrote a piece on Birth Movies Death recently about how uh, Midsummer is also a stealth remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, which is a pretty solid. Like he makes a pretty solid argument for it. Like if you actually like, read that piece and like he like, compares like certain scenes that are like they look very similar to certain scenes in Texas Chainsaw and like plot points that happen and stuff like that. It's actually it's pretty interesting the way. Uh, it, I, I don't know if that was intentional on Astor's part or if that's just like the way horror movies are structured. Um, but in either case, it's a, it's a pretty cool uh, way to compare the two. I, I think I think it's probably. I mean, if not like an outright like we're gonna recreate these scenes, but definitely like we, I think we talked about a lot in the Hereditary episode that that movie wears its influences on its sleeves. Like it just it just yeah. straight up lifts like yeah. Halloween, like or whatever. I don't remember. I think that was one of them. Uh, but like it straight up lifts like you know stuff from its influences. So I would not be surprised if if they do that again in Midsummer or definitely just yeah. referencing. The stuff that they wanted to reference. Yeah, definitely. Uh, now, Florence Pugh, star of this movie. 
incredible in the Re- lead role. I Revel- think. Like, she's revelatory. So good. Revelatory. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, she's great. And she's uh, somebody who's kind of been a rising star for a couple of years now. She's been um, popping up in a lot of indie movies. And uh, recently she was in Five of My Family, the wrestling movie, uh, where she played Paige. Uh, and she's actually going to be starring in the new Black Widow movie. She's like in that movie oh, too snap. somewhere. So, uh, oh no, Disney got it. <laughs> Am I excited it's for that movie now? Oh fuck! Wait, what'd you do to me, Mike? <laughs> no, you. no, you said <laughs> you said you're done, Mike. You can't watch any more of these movies ever again. Uh, fine, uh, ever. We'll <laughs> beat you up. He'll <laughs> stuff me in a locker. This is real, real <laughs> yeah, MCU nerds only here. <laughs> The jocks of the MCU coming at you. I can't believe I've been replaced by Vin as the co-host of this podcast. (laughs) Welcome to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. I'm Vin. (laughs) Featuring Vin. Uh, Anyway, yeah, Florence Pugh is great in this movie. And, you know, not to keep bringing up Hereditary, but I think Tony Collette, you know, gave one of my favorite performances the last year. I think Pugh is kind of doing the same thing, but a much more subtle way. Uh, I feel like her performance is much more subtle than Tony Collette's performance, which was much more outsized and grandiose, and like yeah. there was a lot more yelling uh, in Tony Collette's performance, whereas this is like a much quieter performance than Florence Pugh, but kind of dealing with a lot of the same emotions, uh, and doing so in a way that I found really compelling. So I think she's she's great in the movie. Uh, and the rest of the cast is really good, too. I mean, Jack Rayner is uh, really solid as like, the douchey boyfriend. I especially really loved seeing Cheaty from The Good Place uh, in this movie, guys. <laughs> I realized it halfway through the movie that that's who that was. I was waiting for somebody to turn to me like, yeah, see, this is why everyone hates anthropology students. Uh, <laughs> I was expecting yeah. him to say, like, shirt and fork and stuff. I was right. like, oh, my God, he's cursing? <laughs> he can say the actual words? Exactly. He can do that? Uh, I kind of wanted a little bit more out of Will Poulter. Uh, he was great with what he had. Like, he just, like, just a complete dick the entire movie. I love. Uh, I I tweeted about this that in in modern like contemporary filmmaking, vaping is shorthand for this character sucks, and I fucking <laughs> love that. That's so like mwah. it's so perfect. He did have one of my favorite scenes in the movie though, which was low key like when they first did mushrooms. Oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. And he's like, guys, lay down, <laughs> guys. Tommy, come on, lay down. Uh, I need you to lay, lay down, down also. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the best, because I've been around people who are doing mushrooms who behave exactly like I that. I have, too. It's, I've it's, been, like, the, this, the dad this in the is, group, and they're like, dude, lay this down. This is with honestly uh, one of the most, like, or so I'm told, uh, one of the most accurate depictions of, like, psychedelics in uh, in cinema, where it, yeah. it doesn't, like, you know, a lot of unpopular stuff, it's just like, oh, it's rainbows and unicorns and stuff. And rather, <laughs> this is just, like, patterns move and stuff breathes a little uh or so right. i'm told um and i loved that about this movie where it just kind of allegedly, allegedly i can either confirm nor deny uh <laughs> these allegations uh but yeah it it really lends to that just kind of like unsettling feeling where like that thing shouldn't really be moving and it is and that's fucking creepy uh, right but it's just like way off in the back and it's like whoa, a lot. yeah. I and it's it. a, it's and it's definitely a horror movie. But I think the word we keep coming back to is unsettling because that's I feel like the, the emotion we felt most throughout the movie. Yeah. Uh, but it's also like a pretty funny movie. Like, yeah, it is. There's, there's a lot of stuff in here that I think is like intentionally trying to be pretty comedic. Like you mentioned the uh, the mushroom scene uh, before with Will Poulter. Uh, even the final shot of the movie is like this sort of like hilarious button to end the movie on. <laughs> um, it. Oh, I'm gonna hold off. Oh, it, like Hereditary. I felt this movie ended on kind of a happy note. <laughs> yeah. I felt like 
everything sort of worked out okay. Yeah, with you know, with Hereditary, I did not see where you were coming from. With this movie, yeah, I get it. <laughs> it's, but I remember when we when we reviewed Hereditary, you said that, and we were both like, "All right, Vin, like you know, <laughs> you do you, man. You're crazy, but all right." Uh, <laughs> they they what they just wanted to, they did what they were trying to do. The main characters, <laughs> the secret main characters of the movie, did what they were trying to do the whole time. Yeah, true. And they they seemed pretty stoked about it. <laughs> they were hyped. They were hyped. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, that was uh, a really interesting note to end the movie on, and we'll get to that in spoilers too. But yeah, and Ari Aster's direction, I mean, it just it sets this movie apart from every other horror movie being made right now. And the way he lets those long takes just linger yeah. on his actors, like, it's just so cool and nice. And, you know, I think two movies in, you know, with Hereditary and with this movie, he's done, like, a few short films in the past too, which I, I think some of them are online. I'm going to try to seek those out. Uh, but two movies in, he feels like a real like cinematic voice to be paying attention to right yeah. now. Vin, you texted me uh, with your hottest take of I, all. I'll say it. I know exactly yeah, what go, it was. Go ahead. Say your, say your hot take. I think that Ari Aster is the director everybody's making Jordan Peele out to be. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Fucking slam. Uh, now, we're... I think that Get Out is a phenomenal film. Okay. And I think that Us is a movie that looks great. But upon further examination, makes zero sense. <laughs> uh, we, I mean, I get that. We were both pretty big fans of us on this podcast, uh, and I, like, we we had a lot of that same arguments too. Was like, does this actually work? And like, we, you know, there's a lot of back and forth. Ultimately, I come on the side of like enjoying us a lot. But I, I loved it when I saw it, and it was when I saw. I was talking to somebody when I was in L.A., and they were like, that movie doesn't make any sense. And I was like, no, it does. And they were like, how? And I couldn't prove <laughs> my Yeah, but I, I think Us, and this is going to sound pretentious, Us is a movie that goes beyond the need to make sense, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, Mike, I'm going to need you to leave <laughs> your yeah, podcast. Yeah, I, I felt that as soon as I said it. I'm going to go. <laughs> uh, Me and Mike are going to wrap this yeah. one up, and then uh, it's... We still come back to edit the podcast, though, so don't worry. You'll still <laughs> be course. involved. Naturally. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from with that take, though. I think uh, I, I think both I, – honestly, I think Ari Aster and Jordan Peele are both doing pretty amazing things in horror right now. I'm not trying to discredit – that's what I need to say. Oh, I'm yeah, not no, trying no. to discredit Jordan Peele. I just think that Ari Aster's doing the same quality of work as him, if not a little bit better, and is way more under the radar. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, under the radar compared to Jordan Peele just because Jordan Peele is more famous. Um, but Hereditary was a huge hit when that came out, too. Uh, and even the Midsummer, like, all the advertising is being, like, is being like, from Ari Aster, the director of Hereditary and that kind of thing. Like, it, it seems like they're trying to yeah. build Ari Aster as, like, a brand uh, because Hereditary was so huge. I think yeah. I think it is definitely a interesting uh, comparison to make between Midsummer and us. Not, not I don't think, uh, in relation to each other, but in relation to their previous movies, but, like... Get Out, Us was as much a departure to Get Out as Midsummer is from Hereditary. Yeah, and I think that is really interesting that it's these two kind of like, not ups, well, Ari Oster, I guess, is an upstart, uh, you know what I mean? Like, kind of came out of nowhere as far as, like, popular culture is considered. Uh, right, whereas Jordan Peele had Key and Peele and stuff, yeah. to, you know, all that, to build himself up as a comedian and stuff. Yeah, and just making these, like, balls to the walls, like, swing for the fences horror movies. And following up both of those, their their debut, like, smash hit movies... With, like, we're going to go even further uh, with their follow-up horror crazy movies. Uh, so, I don't know. It's really cool that that's, like, you get to experience that, you know? It's like a it's yes, happening, guys. Yeah, we get to live through the era of them and Tom Brady and LeBron yeah. James. Like, <laughs> wild. <laughs> we're alive 
in the era of people just crushing the Mount it. Rushmore of people is <laughs> Jordan Peele, Ari Aster, Ari Jordan Aster. Peele, Tom Brady, LeBron James. <laughs> the big four, that's what they call them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know they hang oh, out. Yeah, totally. I would like to go to that party very much. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So it sounds like we all enjoyed Midsummer, maybe with some reservations, but uh, overall, just a really, it, it's an engrossing experience. Yeah. Uh, and one that I'm really curious, like, I really want to see the movie again at some point. Uh, but I don't want to see, like, I don't want to do it right away. It's one of those things where, like, I, I was thinking to myself, like, I kind of wanted to go see it a second time before we talked about it today. But, like, it's one of those things, like, it's a two and a half hour experience that I wasn't sure if I was, like, ready to, like, commit myself to that for yeah. <laughs> again. You know what I mean? Uh, but I, by the time I, by the time I get around to, like, being like, okay, now I can do it again, it'll be out of theater. So I'm going to have to wait till it's on Blu-ray or something. Yeah. But, yeah, but Midsummer, it's, uh, it's good. It's very good. Yeah. And, uh, I think. I just think I wasn't in a place to give the, give it the focus I needed. Like, I, like being noon you know what i mean right well that's actually i like also I, I went to like an eleven thirty show and reasoned to myself like well i know it's gonna be like really bright in the movie so it's like it almost like fits like me going in there like at a very bright time of the day uh i totally understand yeah. that um but i also get like you know going going to a movie at noon it's different than going to a movie at like seven you know it's it's different yeah like you're winding down at that you're winding down at that point you're like okay my day is coming to an end i'm gonna sit down i'm gonna, this is what i've been looking forward to with Midsummer, and you wake up. I like went and got like a massage beforehand because oh I'd been working like crazy the past couple of days. <laughs> LA has changed. And then you, I man. went and saw, oh, dude, you didn't even know. <laughs> Ate mom soda, <laughs> the meatloaf. I just, I just felt like I had a hard time focusing on it. Where norm, like with which I fall into sometimes. At, like when movies pass, I didn't realize how long it was. Also, right? Yeah, because we've we've, so we've like, talked about this before. You don't check run times beforehand, uh, which. Sometimes which I, do. I think is insane that like I I, I check the runtime for every movie I see before I see it, just so I just so I know like you know how long I'm going to be there if I have to do something after the movie and that kind of play thing. it fast. And the loose. only reason I looked this time is because I was trying to plan a double feature of Spider Man and, and Midsummer on the same day in the same theater. It didn't work out because I was like that seems like a lot and like it seems like a lot to put myself through and I couldn't decide which one yes. to see first. Uh, so I just gave right. up. Definitely midsummer. Yeah, definitely do midsummer you first. Yeah, happy with the happy Spider-Man movie. Well, stuff like yeah, that. I guess that's fair. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, all right, so yeah, it sounds like we all enjoy midsummer, and I think we have a lot more to talk about in spoilers. Uh, so let's get into spoilers right now for midsummer. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop <laughs> All right, spoilers for Midsummer starting right now. So uh, we mentioned this before, but the opening sequence, guys, that's such a fucking masterwork. Oh. It's so it's so good. Uh, and like I mentioned, I'm a sucker for that delayed opening credits. You know, having that full, like, 10, 15-minute sequence, like, A, it tells you everything you need to know about Danny, about Christian, about Christian's friends. Uh, and then it ends with this, you know, tragic event where Danny's sister kills herself and their parents. And then you have A24. In, like, the most gruesome yes. way. Yes, and then you have A24 presents an Ari Aster film. And I was like, oh, my God, yes, this is amazing. <laughs> like, I'm already in. Yeah. Uh, I, I loved even, like, before all that. Uh, there There's the oh, – wait, is it very beginning? Hold on. I mean, the very first shot of the movie, if you're talking about that, is like the, oh, the, the like that image that opens up. That yeah, like yeah, yeah. That's okay. Swedish me, folk image or whatever. Oh, the woods. Even, even before that, um, but my like one even of the, before that image. You talking about the previews? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> what what happens before that image? That's like the first thing you see, isn't it? No, no. Vin said the woods, and I said no. Before that, is the, okay. the thing opening. Oh, the image. Okay, yeah. you're talking about that. Thing that's opening. the thing. Yeah. Um, and I loved like even, like at the very beginning of that like the opening sequence. It has this like you know like uh, um, 
like drawings, like this kind of like still image of stuff on all, like paintings on a wall kind of thing, uh, like just like artwork. Uh, and I, I don't remember what that is exactly. Like, I wonder if that tells you, like knowing how these Ariaster makes his movies and the rest of the movie uh, has a lot of this like foreshadowing going on through artwork and stuff in the right. background. I wonder if that tells you the story of the whole movie. Uh, but then it like opens like as if we're watching like the beginning of like a puppet show kind of thing. Um, <laughs> which I like, I loved like calling back to Hereditary, which I'm, I hate that we're probably going to do that the whole th- time, but um, that movie opens with like it, the house is a model and it pans the camera oh, yeah. goes in through the window of the model and then the movie starts um huh. so it kind of starts with like these weird art framing devices in both movies which is i don't know neat <laughs> yeah cool. that's really interesting i didn't i didn't think of that so that's yeah it's an interesting comparison to make uh yeah that that whole thing was really cool and yeah you mentioned that like you know that hereditary is covered in like these hidden symbols and these foreshadowing that become like massively important later on in the movie yeah uh and this movie definitely has that but they are not hidden at all they are all like oh yeah no fair on the surface they're like you know they you know, like a lot of times the camera will just pan over like you know well, symbols and <laughs> things like that just oh like... i was waiting for that one to <laughs> oh, pay yeah. off uh you know it's... the love the love potion yeah. where it was like pubes and menstrual yeah. blood <laughs> yeah exactly Make me uh, and it's just showing you all these like rituals and weird symbols that are just drawn on the walls and stuff like that and the camera's just kind of slowly going over them uh, and the movie like tends to depict exactly what was in those drawings yeah. uh, in certain ways later in the movie so yeah it's hereditary was much more like subtle I think not, like even rewatching it like it's not even that subtle but just it feels more hidden than in this movie where they're just like literally in plain sight like you're looking at pictures of like this this stuff's gonna happen later in the movie yeah well uh, I think I think <laughs> in that opening sequence there are a lot also uh there's a spell well, yes. the bear one but that one's like pretty obvious uh, <laughs> yeah. uh over over uh danny's bed right there's like that woman staring down the bear painting or whatever right uh, yeah oh yeah like and right the, the yeah and the, like the the woman in the paintings wearing a crown I'm like oh i see what you see i got it yes uh yep. but yeah i don't know i just and, and everything is just like you can tell everything is so meticulous and i love that when like you can tell that that shit is there because it's important to the story, and right. I love that. Um, and I, I want to highlight, too, that there's a scene in that... I think it's in that opening sequence. Um, it might be after, actually. When Danny finds out... A- after the party where Danny finds out uh, that, like, they're going to Sweden, like, the trip is happening. Yeah. And they come back, and they're having this argument, and, and Steve, Steven? Is that his name? Uh, Christian. 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 Where did I get that from? Uh, Christian, <laughs> sorry. Christian is, like, in the mirror. Like, he's on the other side of the room, and they're having this argument. That It's, like, a really long, like, yes. one-take argument where Christian's just in the, uh, behind, like, you know, behind the camera, and we only see him in the mirror the whole time. Uh, yes. It's just, I don't know, fucking cool, man. This movie's so cool. Yeah. That's also the scene where you're like, oh, Christian sucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he fucking blows. Yeah, to me, it, like, emphasized the separation that they've yes. already, like, you know, it separates those characters and like, it already tells you like they're in like two completely different spaces. One of them's in like a parallel universe, the mirror universe or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I just, I love that whole aspect of that shot. Uh, I do want to kind of give a shout out to the funniest moment in the movie, uh, real quick, which is the moment, or at least the funniest movie to me, uh, which is the moment where, um, they see, they see the bear in a cage and <laughs> one, I think the, I think the British guy's like, Hey, so are you, you going to acknowledge the bear in the cage? And like, the, and the Swedish guy's like, Oh, that's a bear. And they keep walking. <laughs> they just walk and, that's, <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. It was the best. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And speaking of the funny moments, I mean, I think I could have watched the whole movie just about Will Poulter. Um, his like arrogant American character, uh, him taking a piss in the log of the ancestors or whatever uh. <laughs> was, <laughs> uh, was pretty amazing. And just the way, like, you know, everybody was like super pissed about it, but he was just like, I, I didn't know. I just saw a log. 
Like, yeah. I didn't know. He's like, what? I didn't yeah. know. So what? And the guy's like, so what? Did you hear what he <laughs> <Yeah>. said? <laughs> I love, uh, I, I love him, like, you know, that kind of, the, the moment when they first get to, um, like, the, the commune. Like, not after the mushroom trip. Like, the, when they actually get to, the, like, the village or whatever. Um, yeah. And, and there's, like, that opening ceremony thing. And it's just, like, a long shot of the crowd while this person's on stage to, like, explaining, like, why they do this festival and stuff. And you just see, like, you hear the, like, the crackle of his vape and then just, like, the cloud. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that tells you everything we need to know about what he's going to do for the rest of this movie. And I fucking right. loved it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was pretty great. So, but obviously, the core of the movie is about the relationship between uh, Danny and Christian, Florence Pugh and Jack Rayner, uh, and it's a really fascinating one because Christian's a dick, you know, and only does things for himself and is manipulative and lazy. He forgot her freaking birthday. Right. <laughs> yeah, but I think the mo- the position the movie puts him in at the start, like where he's already been in this relationship for too long, he's like on he's like on the verge of breaking up with her, and then this like massive tragedy happens. And he kind of gets stuck in the relationship. Like, that's... It's a really tough position to put a character in. They, uh, and I think Danny and Christian are both, at times, sympathetic characters. Because that's, I, that is a, a position I think a lot of people... Not specifically uh, <laughs> the Christian's position in the beginning of the movie. A lot of people have been in that kind of situation where you're like, I need to get out of here. But something happens yeah. that you will be a fucking terrible human if you leave then. And you gotta wait. Right, exactly. And I'm not saying I think he gets what he deserves. Oh, at the end. No, he, yeah, I, he, I think he, he gets does. what he deserves. Yeah. yeah, I think I think he gets what he deserves. Like ultimately, Danny is the character you're more sympathetic towards. Yes. But like the position the movie the movie puts him in at the start is like like I would probably do the same thing for a while. Like you know I, I can't you can't leave that relationship like that easily. Wait, you think that those ends justify the means? Wait, no, wait, what what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm saying we're in the spoiler yeah. section, yeah, right? I'm, I'm saying he gets burned alive. Not in a that bear, shit. That he, in a not bear. that shit. I'm talking about Christian staying in the relationship, like not and not. Oh no! Up. Of course that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I thought I'm talking about the end of the movie. I don't think he gets what he deserves at the end of the. You movie. You think he should have survived? Yeah, but like, but like also, maybe you know, only sort of. Cast be... a, he got cast a love spell on him. He drank period blood. He ate a pube. <laughs> like this guy's not having a great couple of days. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I, he's, like, manipulated into the events that she sees towards the end of the movie. And it's it's not that he gets what he deserves, necessarily, but I guess, I, I think it's more she gets what she deserves. I agree in, with that. In a certain respect. But, uh, but like, the way, I, I, what I'm trying to say is the, the position the movie puts him in at the start, where he's in this relationship and he knows he needs to get out of it and he's trying to get out of it on this on the verge of being out of this relationship. Like, you know, he's, he wants to get out of it for, like, shitty reasons. He's, he's a bad boyfriend, like, from the get-go. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, this massive tragedy happens and he kind of gets stuck in it because how do you break up with somebody after that? Uh, oh yeah. That's where Aster like yeah, shines. And then he gets, and then he gets resentful. And then so does she, because like on some level she knows that he's only still there because of the trauma that she went through. Uh, and then she spends that, she spends that opening sequence talking to her friend about how like she's worried that she leans on him too much for emotional support. And her friend points out like, that's literally his job to be there for her because he's her boyfriend. Uh, but then you add like the additional stress of being on a vacation with that person who you hate. Uh, and like <laughs> that she wasn't invited yeah. right exactly and like of course you're gonna burn him alive in an ancient ritual like that's the next logical step that's, that's <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah you're right Mike I don't know what yeah, I was it's crazy about. like that the, the way that uh, all of these characters are written at least in that beginning section before they go to Sweden like I can relate to all of them like I've been that like in that group of friends where like the guy comes back and he's like hey like we're all gonna pretend that I invited my girlfriend because if I don't 
like I'm fucked. <laughs> and you're like, okay, fine, right. dude. Like I guess. Yes. Like I, I, it's it's wild the way that they're able to. The Aster is able to like handle that whole situation, that whole friend group, and like the relationships and every. I can understand being each one yeah. of those people, which is crazy. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah sure. I've been that guy, and I've been that guy who has to like when everybody else leaves the room except for the girlfriend that you don't know, and you just kind of have to make small talk with yeah. her, like. You know, all that kind of stuff. Hey, yeah. I drew you. <laughs> yeah, I've been that guy too, obviously. No, uh, I've lured many a friend's girlfriends to being the <laughs> queen of a death to, cult. To the May Queen, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's an average Tuesday for yes. me, guys. Uh, but, you know, I, th- I think the, their whole relationship between Danny and Christian, I feel like it could be summed up just in that sequence where he gives her that piece of birthday cake oh. and, pretends not, and, and pretends to have not forgotten her birthday and she's kind of just going along with it. Uh, like she, like he thinks he's fooling her yeah. into into the idea that he didn't forget her birthday. Meanwhile, she's like, "Oh, I'm gonna burn you alive." <laughs> First chance I get, I'm gonna Just, burn you already alive. in her head. Yeah, I mean, I love the the like visual metaphor of him not being able to light the candle, like the lighter won't light. While he's like oh, right. trying, to, oh, so desperately he's trying, so possibly he might pull this off. No, you're not even close. Like, <laughs> and that's another scene where like the thing I referenced earlier, where like. There's just, like, weird shit going on behind them in that scene. Well, they're having this touching moment where there's, like, this group of women just, like, slowly rocking back and forth in the frame between them, way in the background. I mean, yes. Or the people uh, playing Skin the Fool. Which I fucking Remember that fun game? then the fool gets skinned at the end of the movie, then. Oh, uh, yeah. Man, shit. Oh, yeah. Fuck. Remember he's wearing the jester cap? Uh, well, his face is wearing the jester cap. <laughs> um, what is the... Oh, but then there's that cute scene where the girl is flirting with him, where she runs by him and kicks him in the ribs. <laughs> you know, like a child would. Honestly, is that girl like, what, 15? Rever- like, what is the read on that? Yeah, I feel it's like she's of age in that commune, I guess, basically. Like, however the culture defines it. But, uh, yeah, I have no idea how old she was supposed to be. I, I love uh, uh, when, uh, what's his name, Pele, I think, or Pell or something? That's like Swedish friend. Uh, the, the, sweet, the Swedish friend. Yeah, yeah, when he's kind of like going through the life the like life cycle of the members of the community. He's like, oh, and you get to 72. And oh, she yeah. asks, like, what happens? And he makes the, like, you know, <laughs> hand across the throat, like, you, like, you know, right. the scene in Guardians. And, you, uh, and you're, like, <laughs> you're like, oh, he means it, though. <laughs> Right, uh, like you think he might be joking, and then later on, there's an actual suicide sequence where the people who are 72 jump off the rocks. Had I not seen Hereditary, I would have assumed he was joking. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, hundred um, percent. But yeah, what did you guys think of that suicide sequence? Actually, holy shit! First off, <laughs> Se- I felt good for. I was happy for the lady that it ended quick oh, for. I guess man. <laughs> that scene was so fucking brutal, dude. I've I zoned in on that big hammer from the beginning of the trailers and i was just like somebody's getting hit with that (laughs) i Uh, i was like i see where this is coming i thought it was gonna be like a misery or like a like a wicker man scenario that that's one of the scenes uh, where i feel like i wish i think it happens maybe one or two more times which reminded me straight up of a field in england uh which is you know weird like i worked out that i watched it uh before this Where they, like, turn and acknowledge the camera. Because there's the scene, uh, so, like, there's this shot of them, like, the whole crowd in front of the cliff. And there's, like, that one guy with, like, the horn or bugle or whatever the hell, like, at the back of the crowd. As the camera, like, pans in closer. And he, like, turns and looks over his shoulder. It's not quite down the lens, but, like, why why are you turning around? I I scoped that, too. I think he was looking at, uh, I think in the world of the film, he was looking at the main characters or like Aren't whatever but... i don't know but it, it was just one of those things where i was like oh this is weird that's that's interesting uh and there's another scene later uh towards the end when christian is like tripping balls 
uh, at the yeah. table where he like turns and looks over his shoulder, kind of back at the camera. Uh, but I think there's like a reason for that one. But I don't know. It was just interesting. Uh, but back to the, the suicide scene, because uh, <laughs> it makes me realize nobody really ever acknowledges that that. Cheedy knew what it was, and I feel bad for calling him that. Uh, I he knew what was going to happen. Yeah, because he's in that scene before. He's like, like really? And the guy's like, yeah, and then, for real. And then in it's the back scene, he asks like, oh, are those the ones? And like when the two elders come out and sit right. at the table, and you're like, oh, he knows what the fuck's going to go down. And yeah, and I think that's part of the they, they position. I mean, they're all anthropology students right. except for Danny, uh, and, and he's like obviously the most into the other like this is like his area of study his area of expertise like this his what his thesis is going to be about um and i i think there is a mentality among some anthropology students uh which i don't know if he spends much time around anthropology students or not I don't. Uh, i've met a few in my day my main group of people i associate uh, with. but anthropology students like the mentality tends to be like oh well like their culture seems weird to us but our culture seems weird to them probably and like that's kind of his argument in this movie uh, where he's so like, do you think this is this movie is Ari Aster trying to slam dunk on anthropology <laughs> students? It's possible. It's possible because yeah, he got burned real bad in college <laughs> by the anthropology department. Uh, but that's like literally what Chidi says, or William Jackson Harper says um, in that sequence, where he's like, you know, well, what, what we do with our elders probably seems crazy to them or whatever. Like this, this is just their culture. We put them in homes. Does Christian Ooh. say that, or does he say that? I, no, Chidi you know, says I think that. Christian might actually say that. Now. I'm sorry, Josh. Josh. Josh in right. the movie. I think Christian says that though. I think I think Christian might say that, but Christian's also an anthropology student. Yeah, uh, but he like so, kind of steals the whole idea. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's the, like he steals everything from Chidi, right, from Josh. Josh. Uh, yeah. So he probably stole that like line from him too. That's uh, true. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I bet that Danny was dating Josh before. Maybe. 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 <laughs> if, if so, they never mention it in the movie. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah. But and yeah, it's like Josh kind of, or uh, Christian spends. Like, there's that moment in the movie where he's like, hey, so uh, just a heads up, I think I'm going to do my thesis on uh, this place. And Josh is like, no, like, you can't, like, you can't do that. I Like, you... Hey, fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and, you know, they eventually gets him to, like, be like, all right, I guess we can work together a little bit or sort of like that. Uh, and But then as soon as Josh disappears and, like, that whole thing happens um, with the book that, like, disappears... Christian sells him out immediately. Yeah. Just like, as, as soon as like somebody confronts him, like, Hey, so, uh, w- Josh did it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I just want you to know, like we, we have no associations. I barely know him. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, and you can see Danny's face, like watching him say that. I'm like, are you, are you fucking serious? Like, <laughs> I feel like that's the moment that gets him killed at the end. I think so. Yeah. That's the moment where she has that, like makes that decision where like, if I get the chance, <laughs> Like, like holy shit, you're selling out like one of your best friends right now. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would love to see a cut of this movie where it's just her internal monologue the whole time. <laughs> where it's like in the beginning, she's like, "God, six or seven more things happen." Move alive. <laughs> if this one specific order of events happens, I swear to God, if he sells out his friend right now, it's done. It's the last straw. Um, but yeah, but then every <laughs> spit roast time. <laughs> but yeah, then everything that happens. I mean, there's that whole maypole dance sequence, which was which awesome. is it, just such a dizzying literally um yeah sequence yeah. where danny becomes the new may queen at the same time as christian starts taking these hallucinogens or whatever he's taken and he, he presumably full of pubes possibly full of pubes i mean at least one thing that he consumed was full of pubes that that much we know yes uh which i think one of my favorite one of my other favorite funny lines in the movie is when um, christian gets led into that one house um with the elder woman and she's like oh this girl has taken a liking to you and that kind of thing and he kind of like looks at her for a second and he's like 
I think I ate one of her pubes. <laughs> <laughs> and then the lady's like, yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah, you did. <laughs> and I love, too, that, uh, the, in that, that, the scene when he eats that after he eats the, the oh, man, I'm not going to say that. Uh, when, he, when he eats the, the pube, uh, he, he, like, takes a drink from it. <laughs> I have several questions about what you're yeah, going to say too. after this. Uh, when he, it's, they make the joke in the movie, I think, but I'm not gonna, I don't want to repeat it. Uh, when he drinks the, takes a sip of his drink and he puts it down and it's like, noticeably pinker than everyone else's drink and you're like oh no oh, i hated that yeah i hated that moment yes that was uh I, I i get what you're saying yeah honestly when those pies like first showed up and that's when he like eats the pube like, um, that's a person for a, sure I, yeah i thought that was the british dude like 100 yeah. uh, percent. They, they never like acknowledge that though they never no. say that and then he's and then he's one of the bodies at the end so i guess it wasn't him no they, or maybe they, or maybe it was just his skin at the end oh yeah you thought they were eating the yeah. eating i thought the they people. were sweeney todd in this whole thing like, i thought it was gonna be a sweeney todd dude. dude look they might be inbred but they are not savages <laughs> only one person's inbred <laughs> yes true at intentionally least only i guess yeah we know for a fact that one person is bred specifically <laughs> to be like the oracle or whatever i wanted more of that kid yeah he that, that kid was all over the marketing and stuff for this movie and it was actually it was on the cover of uh, fangoria the new issue of fangoria um and was only in the movie for like maybe. five minutes yeah, which seemed seemed like he had he like he had a pretty pivotal role in the movie as far as like being he was their oracle, was the oracle the guy who that was awesome the or whatever but uh, yeah he uh, he really isn't in that much of the movie um yeah that yeah. It, it, it feels like this weird like exploitation thing going on there but i, I did like the reveal the way they use that because the previous like earlier we have christian asking like well you know in his fucking douchebag way like well wh- what about couples can i bang somebody <laughs> basically is what he's asking uh right and the guy's like oh no you guys uh fucking each other, right <laughs> and the, the the guy tells him like oh no like we respect the like incest taboo like we have we make sure that that doesn't happen and then there's the moment where Josh is asking, like, oh, do you just, like, wait for somebody to be born this way? And he's like, oh, no, we specifically breed uh, people like this. And you're like, oh, oh, fuck. It, like, yeah. Because I think that's kind of the, like, weird shit has been going on the whole time at that point in the movie. But that's right. the moment where it's like we make the turn that, like, shit's getting dark now. Uh, right. Because then I think the next scene after that, or next major scene at least, is when he sneaks out to go steal the book and then gets hammered. Uh, with yes, gets hammered by <laughs> gets hammered. almost. Yeah, Aww. Leatherface next Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, there it is. There I was so hyped that that hammer came back into play a second yeah. time, <laughs> and you were like, "Could it? Could it come back a third time?" And I don't think it does. But could, oh, uh, oh, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, but there's that whole Maypole dance sequence where Danny becomes the new May Queen, uh, and sort of. Do we think that that was an accident? Uh, no, I don't think it was. I think that was like intent, like definitely purposeful. I don't think Danny really understood what was happening throughout the whole sequence. Um, but maybe she did on some level. Like it's, it's. There's a lot of stuff going on there. I, um, I think this is just. It's the. It needs the, <laughs> the the subtitle, uh, a Swedish folktale. Like this is. It's there in the very big. The, the that <laughs> shot when Danny's crying on the bed. When there's the girl staring down the bear oh, with so the crown good. on it, like it's she's gonna be May Queen the whole time. Like I think it's right. it's one of those kind of deals. Yeah, like the prophecy must be fulfilled and yeah. that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, but I, that that whole Maypole dance sequence, uh, you know, leads into her kind of becoming this adopted member of this new family. Uh, while at the same time, Christian starts cheating on her with the Swedish girl. Right. Uh, and uh, granted, like Vin mentioned, they drugged him up pretty good before that happens. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like he's he is not in his actual mind uh if he was who knows what he like it sounds like he kind of wanted to do it anyway like before all that before he took the drugs and stuff 
Oh, for sure. But, uh, he even says like, "Oh, I'm not gonna. I don't like. I don't want to take this. Like, I'll have a bad trip." And she's like, "Okay, whatever," yeah. and walks away. And then he's like, "Well, okay, fine, I'll do it." And he like on his own decides yeah. to do it. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, that's that is definitely a good point. Um, but I loved like you know that whole juxtaposition of like you know just Christian going in that room uh, and just you know the, just the woman like laying on the petal of flowers, just like a like ten or fifteen other naked women behind her. Yeah. Uh, juxtapose that with like Danny find like seeing that and then like just crying in the other room. Uh, and in one room, the fifteen women are like imitating the orgasm that the woman is having. Uh, while in the other, they do that a lot in this the, movie, where like a group of people start like doing right. They're like kind of doing an in, in unison orgasm, but then in the other room, they're doing an in unison cry with Danny. Yeah, uh, and it's cut, and it's like cutting back and forth between those two. And I was like, man, this is like this is incredible. You know, like, uh, on on one level, like not at all. It's not at all like this. But on another level, <laughs> it reminded me of the the baptism scene in The Godfather. Uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> only like the cutting back and forth thing that was all just like the the, the yes. two the, the the juxtaposition to use your fancy word uh, between the two things going on in each scene that were cutting back and forth between that was all and because and because in the Godfather there's 15 naked women making the same orgasm that's how baptism right? works yes right <laughs> look it's, all we can say for certain is both of those scenes I had a huge moment super awkward let's not do that. I actually, this was one of the times where I kind of, it's it's interesting, uh, or not interesting, but uh, whatever. It's a coincidence. Like, I talked about with Hereditary that, like, one of my favorite, like, theater experiences of all time is that moment, like, with Tony Collette in the corner and, like, the whole theater, like, slowly freaking out together. Um, yes. For Midsummer, like, I, I mean, that scene, that's, like, ritual sex scene is like goofy like and and there is even like some i think there is like a deliberately funny moment when like the woman comes forward and like puts her hand on on christian's face and he like freaks out and he's like what the fuck like he has that yes. kind of moment which is very funny yeah. um but my theater was like laughing at all that and like th- that is definitely a not funny like other than that one section within that scene uh that is not right. supposed to be a funny scene entirely and i was like oh man this fucking sucks like you guys fucking this this theater is missing. Yeah, I was like, you guys fucking it's, suck. I mean, it's not like meant to be a funny scene textually, but I, I feel like meta textually there is like an element of like just it's, it's so ludicrous. Yeah, that's and it's fair. so insane, and I feel like I don't know. I feel like laughter is not an inappropriate response to that whole sequence. That's fair. I mean, uh, Ari Aster loves naked old people. <laughs> True. I actually had that thought too. Like Hereditary and Midsummer, a lot of naked old people in these movies, and happy endings. Naked old people that lead directly into a happy ending. That's Ari Esther's calling True. card. True. Uh, I thought you were talking about the TV show Happy Endings, which I've been watching a lot of recently. But uh. definitely not that. Like. <laughs> definitely not that. Definitely not. But that. I, I do agree too uh, that like at, at some point uh, on a certain level, like nervous or scared laughter is also a response that a lot of people have. Uh, so like, yes. I can understand that. But it was just like like uproarious like comedy laughter going on in my gotcha. for that scene, and I was like, you guys fucking suck. What, how, what was your audience like for this movie, guys? Because I, I saw it in the you know theater at eleven thirty in the morning. There was like three other people in the theater with me. That's exactly what my experience okay. was, uh, Mike. It sounds like you have more people in your theater. Yeah, I mean it was it was crowded, but I think it was in the smallest theater at my multiplex, like you know the one that's like okay. you know ten rows or whatever. Brag? <laughs> no, what do you mean brag? <laughs> that I have a multiplex. Ooh, he's got a multiplex. <laughs> Fair, I guess, uh, but it was yeah. like kind of crowded, <laughs> it, it, you know. But like I said, it was like the, you know the theater that's ten rows, um, so it was right. a fairly small room. But it was like at three Dang. o'clock on a Saturday, and you know there were people there. Yeah. 
no, it definitely feels cool. like this is a much less accessible movie than Hereditary was. Oh yeah, um, like it's yeah. it's one of those things where like only like real hardcore like horror geeks are gonna really get anything out of this. I, I think. I mean, I would love it if like more like you know mainstream audiences would go see it because um, that would be cool. Um, and it's got like a C plus cinema score, which actually for this movie is pretty good. Um, As usually a good I, sign though. The yeah, lower I, the I, cinema I, score. I, I, the better the movie. Well, the lower the cinema score, the better the movie. Yeah, of course. Uh, but I think I think Hereditary got like an F on cinema score, Oof. Uh, and this one got like a C plus, which is like it's surprising that people like liked it enough to give it a C plus. You know what I mean? True. Uh, it's, it's just such a, it's such a weird movie and such a slow burn. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's two hours and twenty minutes. It's it's a it's a long ask. It's a it's a big ask for people. Uh, I will say one image that's really going to stick with me um, is the dead body that's um, completely flayed and definitely seems like it's it's like hanging from the ceiling, but its lungs are sticking outside the body. Uh, and they were still breathing when you saw them? Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm glad that... I thought I was okay. crazy. <laughs> and I, I'm wondering, like... like I, I'm trying to think back. Like, it's Jack Rayner, Christian, who sees that body. Uh, and I'm wondering if he was already, like, high as fuck when that when he discovered that body. This was post-coitus, yeah. and he was high on that's mushrooms. What I, okay, so that's what I'm thinking. Like, it might have just been, like, his mind tricking him into thinking the lungs were breathing. Or... Or those lungs could have actually been breathing, and that guy could have still somehow been alive. And, I, and that terrified me. Like, that... Like, that's one of the most horrifying things I can think of. I for um. sure thought, especially because he gets closer and he, like, gets underneath the body to look up at the face. And I, I was like, this motherfucker's going to yell or, like, some shit's yeah. going to happen. Uh, and they, like, yeah. pump fake out what that jump scare is, which is nice. Because <laughs> it's not that. Right. Uh, and I, I don't think it really is a jump scare, like, when he turns around and sees the guy there. But, uh, right. the, the you know, the shock uh, of that. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff. I just love the, like... The subtle details, uh, especially with uh, Danny's like Mayflower crown, or a Queen crown, like one of the yes. flowers keeps breath opening and closing. The like the bloom, yes, and like that subtle <laughs> stuff. Like there's another uh, shot uh, where like they're walking in the field or whatever, and you see the, the the trees behind them are breathing, and there's a face in the trees at one point. Um, yes, I just I love all those details they put in there with like all the psychedelic shit going on. Yeah, it reminded me, uh, I, I mentioned this to you a while back, but in the movie Black Swan, um, I haven't seen that movie since it was in theaters, but there's one moment that has stuck with me since then, uh, which is very early on in the movie Black Swan, where Natalie Portman walks into, I think, her room or something, and there's a painting, uh, like, kind of mounted on the wall, or maybe it's, like, on the floor or something, um, but as you're, like, panning across the room, the eyes on the painting, like, move for, like, a split second. Whoa. Um, like, they, like, kind of dart back and forth, and it's one of those things where, like, if you blink, you would have missed it. Um, but I remember seeing that in theaters and that like freaking me out. Like, what is like, what is this? Yeah. And this movie and this movie does that like every five minutes. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Like, like, there's just stuff throughout. Like the like every time somebody's like drugged out or whatever, they have like yeah, like, that one flower that's just kind of opening up and it's, it's like so small where you're like, is it actually opening up or not? Am I am I imagining that? Uh, and it kind of like gets in your head in that way. And yeah. I, I love that about it. Yeah. It made me think of um, just because I don't know why this one scene in the master sticks out where I think it's uh, when Joaquin phoenix is like being interviewed by amy adams and she's like change the color of my eyes to blue and then they cut to her face and her eyes are blue and you're like wait were they blue the whole time like were they always blue like you can't really remember because you weren't really looking uh and you're like there's a lot of that going on (laughs) in midsummer uh and then of course the movie ends with uh danny choosing christian to be killed in the ritual sacrifice so she actually has (laughs) because yeah (laughs) but i think it's interesting to actually give her the choice to kill christian basically like it's what it's basically she can choose Christian or she can choose some random Swedish dude. Yeah. And she, that other guy seemed real gung ho <laughs> about it too. You got to figure he was at least a little bummed. He didn't get picked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's the lottery. The, was that Shirley Jackson that wrote that? 
the, the show yes, story? Yes, I believe you're right. Where it's like, yeah. oh, this is like an honor to be killed for this. And it's like, whoa. Right. Look at your English lit major. Yeah, look at that. Out. Coming in. Uh, <laughs> it's worth it. Uh, yeah, well, I read a little book called The Hunger Games. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of it. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so she chooses Christian to be killed in this ritual sacrifice and then presumably lives the rest of her life with this new family, uh, possibly encased in flowers for the rest of her life. Who's to say? Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I thought she was also going to get burned alive. You thought so? Because they showed one thing. It was like another one of those paintings where it looked like the May Queen over a fire. Okay, interesting. I don't. Uh, I mean, I don't remember that, but there were so many like paintings and symbols and stuff through, like throughout yeah. the movie. It's yeah. I feel um, yeah. maybe it was just because she would be like the one who made the final choice. Like she presided, like not literally, but she like she presided yeah. over mm-hmm. it. I could see that, but I, I think it's um, more affecting to have Danny kind of accept these people as her new family after kind of dealing with the trauma that she has at the beginning of the movie, where she loses her entire family, and then her only like emotional support is this boyfriend who is an asshole. Uh, and so to kind of reject him and just like, you know, be embraced by this family who does, uh, who like describes her as like the May queen and that kind of thing. Like, I think it's, uh, it's more affecting that way than to just have her be killed off. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm happy that she didn't <laughs> die. You just could have seen it happening though. It just, I suspected that's where it was going because I was like, can she even move in that thing? <laughs> <laughs> Although her trying to walk in it is one of the funniest things I've ever yeah. seen in my life. Well, there, there's that moment too where, so like they they burn this uh, um, like temple or whatever, this like sacred site or whatever, where they put all the bodies and they put the, the two volunteers and stuff. Once they start screaming, like the whole community screams, which oh, was terrifying. Yeah. And there's another moment that. like you referenced where it's like this group. Uh, emotion that everyone experiences at the same time. It's like everybody's yeah. keen. Yeah, and it's like this weird, like, purging thing where, like, you know, th- right. I think that's, like, what Christian represents, like, in some way, where he's kind of, like, the last uh, connection to her past life, to Danny's life, like, previous life before she became May Queen, and she fucking it burns that shit and fully embraces uh, this, like, commune, commune thing. But there's that moment where like it's only the the commune people we see like the swedish people doing this like screaming stuff uh and then we get danny doing it and it's like oh fuck she's it like she's in yes. like I, at that point i thought maybe she, it's like out of spite like she just hates him like she wants him dead out of this yeah. whole thing uh and then she's like screaming with them and then ultimately like laughing in the final shot of the movie and you're like Oh, yeah, that, that final shot where it's like showing the uh, the building burning down with, uh, with Christian inside, and then kind of just it's it almost does that Twin Peaks the Return thing like where double it's, exposed uh, kind of thing. Cooper, Cooper's face over like the scene and that kind of thing, yeah. uh, and it's her and it's her face, and she's like watching it, and she like she's looking at it, and she's frowning, and then like as the shot goes on, that frown like turns into a smile. Yeah, uh, and it was like yeah, I'm, I'm kind of happy for her. Like she, happy, <laughs> happy ending. Happy ending. Does anybody else wish? Okay. This is going to make me sound like a, uh, I guess, psychopath. No, tread lightly. The scene where he gets, like, paralyzed from the dust, presumably collected from the snap, the blip. <laughs> okay. Yes, go on. <laughs> um, okay. Christian. When he woke up in that wheelchair, I, not that I hoped, but I thought, like, they were going to have, like, cut his legs off or something. Oh, my God. Okay. Almost like in Tusk. <laughs> like in Tusk. You, you wanted Tusk is what you're saying? <laughs> a little bit. I was just like, I thought it was going to be more gruesome than Have it was. You, okay. you... And I don't want to say I was let down because that makes me seem crazy. <laughs> Have either of you watched The Perfection yet by any chance? 
No, I haven't. No. I know you talked about it a couple episodes ago. Never mind then. Why does that happen? Does she get sewn into a walrus <laughs> or bear? <laughs> well, I mean, like all good movies. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No, that's not what happens. Guys, I've only seen two movies. <laughs> I didn't see Spider Man. I lied that entire time. You, you did a fantastic did a job of fake. Great job. Yeah, a... Thank you. Uh, all right. Any other uh, thoughts about Midsummer, guys? Or should we start wrapping this up? I, I think I really like this movie. <laughs> it's so fucking good. Yeah. I need more time to ruminate yeah. on it and maybe see it again. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I really liked it. I liked it a lot. I did not like it as much as Hereditary for now. I feel like, you know, honestly, like two years from now, I could be like, Midsummer might even be better than Hereditary kind of thing. Like, it's one of those things where I'm like, it, it's like I, I, I could feel it like just at, the longer it stays with me. Uh, the more I think I'm going to grow to appreciate it. I think Florence Pugh gives a performance that wasn't particularly exciting, but it was incredibly yeah. real. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. It's very, it's much, it's a much more subtle performance than I think you get in something like Hereditary, uh, and it's I think similarly going to be ignored at the Oscars uh, this year. Yeah, but, you know, that's there's <laughs> that actually there's that one scene uh, I wanted to I just remembered when when she's on mushrooms that first time. And she starts freaking out when uh, Will Poulter, right? Is that his name? The douchebag guy? Yeah, the guy. Mm-hmm. We're the Miller's guy. Yeah. When that guy says, like, you're my family to everyone, and she, like, that's it. Like, that, she snaps. Like, she has that moment. Right. And she runs into, like, the outhouse, and she turns the light on. And, oh, God. And her, I, guess, oh. I think it's her sister, it's supposed to be, is behind her in the mirror. I mean, it's, it's such a quick flash, yeah. uh, so it seems like it might be your sister, but it could have been like a sweet, like one of the Swedish dudes. Like, who knows? Yeah, well, I, think, I only say that because that happens a couple times in the movie where she yeah. sees her. Family. Oh yeah, when she's the, when she turns into the May Queen, or yeah. as she has that vision. She has that vision of her mom kind of walking past as they're her, congratulating yeah, her and her dad and everything. Uh, I only say it's her yeah. sister because I think there's duct tape over her mouth in in the mirror, which we know her sister. Oh, did, okay. I think. I mean, but like you said, it's for a second, so it's like, oh shit. Uh, but like, damn, damn son. <laughs> I thought that's where the yeah. rest of the movie was going to be. That kind of thing. Uh, right. It's not, which is an int- like intense. I like that. Unless upon second viewing, we're like, oh shit, her family's they, all like, over the movie. That's what I was trying to, <laughs> uh, not that specifically, but there's like 80 people in every fucking shot of this movie. There's so many people. Oh, the extras yeah, killed sure. it. Yes. Yeah, they really did. They might be yeah. back I there mean, the whole time. Who knows? They, they might be back there the whole time. I will say the extras are great, Vin. They're not as great as your performance in The Dead Don't Die. True. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, well, when you eat seven potatoes and half a chicken, <laughs> you know, when you spend six hours doing that, they call you back for another day of shooting, decide they don't need Kill you. It. <laughs> anyway, all right. So Midsummer It was very good. I think we all enjoyed the movie or, you know, experienced the movie and felt very unsettled by it. Yeah. Enjoyed seems like a weird word for it. But, uh, yeah. Would have liked more clicking. <laughs> I'm glad it didn't have Yeah, if there's one thing the movie didn't have enough of, it was clicking. So that about wraps things up for this episode of uh, Michael Might Go to the Movies. Uh, Vin, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, Very much appreciate it. Thanks for having me, boys. Of course. Where can we find you online this week? At Vincent J. Craig on Twitter, at probably Vin Craig on Instagram, at the Upstaters on YouTube. And please, uh, if you can find a way to support viral the musical go to the website uh go to the we demand if it's still up like the instagram i really appreciate that that'd be really cool it's a cool experience and i'd love to keep doing nice, it yeah and support this show because it's incredible and they keep putting up <laughs> <in my day. laughs> oh thanks man yeah uh yeah definitely support viral the musical if you can and go rent the dead don't die if you haven't seen it yet vin appears uh very briefly in the movie any other uh, movies coming up that we should know about vin uh there's that i know that's that movie with joe manganiello that you've been uh, talking about Skin is coming out this month, which I'm an extra. That's the short in. film, right? Uh, no, the feature. oh, but you were in the short. 
No, I was in the, I'm only an extra in the oh, future. Okay. I thought you were in the short. It's the same director. Right. Same guy right. won the Oscar for the short. I had nothing to do okay. with the short. I wish that would be cool. Gotcha. Definitely check out that. I'm going to check it out. I don't even know if it's going to be good or not. I just know I'm in it. <laughs> Eventually, Shoplifters of the World is going to come out. Check that out. Uh, that's kind of all I got in the pipe right now. Uh, go look me up on IMDb at Vincent Craig, uh, considering doing a, a professional name change to Vinnie Craig. <laughs> okay. That's, because that's what a lot of people have told me to do. That sounds a lot like the main character from Entourage. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> Thank God I don't look a lot like the character <laughs> from Entourage. Uh, anyway, yeah. Well, because, oh, I'm sorry. I have, I'm Vin Craig on IMDb, and everybody's like, well, well, I think of Vin Diesel. I'm like, all right, well, it's not my fault. <laughs> it's Vin Diesel's fault. He should change his name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, his name's Mark Sinclair, why, all right? Why should so I change? He's, think why about should that. I change? He's the one who sucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Off the space reference. But anyway, <laughs> anyway. Uh, all right, Vin, thanks for joining us. Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and MD Film Blog on Letterboxd. But no IMDb page? I don't have an IMDb page, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, that is unfortunate. Uh, and you can find me online at uh, twitter.com slash msmithfilmblog and all of our podcasts and stuff over at uh, Rapture Press, the Rapture Press Network, uh, doing some cool stuff right now. A uh, couple of other shows on there as well, including our show, Complete Works, uh, The Review Zoo, which uh, does all the film news and that kind of stuff, and uh, Badass Biz Bitches. Uh, which talks about uh, women in the workplace and that kind of thing. So, yeah, very cool shows over there at Raptor Press. You can check those out. Uh, thank you for listening to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike Crescio. And that is, of course, Vin Craig. Uh, don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, hit us up at Mike and Mike Go to the Movies at gmail.com. Uh, our next episode of Mike and Mike will probably see us begrudgingly checking out Disney's new remake of The Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, uh, Vin, are you excited for uh, The Lion King, the new one? <laughs> yeah, okay. I really am. Fair Good enough, you, I guess. I I'm glad because I am a sucker. Just in general, or for <laughs> Lion King? <laughs> no, oh no, God. just in general. Just yeah, I thought you were going to finish that with like a sucker for Disney remakes or something, but no, just a sucker in general. No, I'm a sucker, and I'll buy anything that gets put in my face. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've not been the hottest on most of these Disney remakes, but uh, and the Lion King, I've Aladdin was. Bad. What was that? Aladdin was Aladdin bad. was uh, was not great, but yeah. Uh, um, but you know, the Lion King. You know, I think it looks like visually, it's probably it looks astounding. They were able to accomplish the Lion King, like that photorealism. But I think it's going to look very bad when animals are actually talking. But we'll see, we'll see what we'll happens. Find out. It's John Favreau. I'm excited. We'll see what happens. But uh, who knows? Maybe we'll uh, switch things up. Just talk about Stranger Things or something. We'll figure it out as we get closer to yeah. it. Uh, plus, keep an eye out for the next Complete Works, which we'll see Nicolas Cage making a sort of sequel to the infamous 1993 movie Deadfall, uh, 2017's Arsenal. Uh, pretty excited to dig into that one, Mike. As you know, I own that one on Blu-ray. Can't wait. Uh, and that's the end of this week's episode of Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. We'll see you on the other side. Mike and Mike Go to the Chosen wise.